0: <laughs> Got the hat on <laughs> and we're going live. Happy birthday to me with all my festive stuff, including festive squig. Festive squig at the squid ball. Can't Can't roll with concerning. Hey everyone! saying <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday to me. I'd like to say welcome to Lore Beards. It's gonna be a fun one today. We're here to celebrate Andy's 111th birthday. <laughs> Fuck you all. Speech. Speech. (laughs) Speech. (laughs) I like you about... Oh, no, let's just not even go there. Uh, It's going to be a fun one today. Uh, We'll give you all a little bit of time to gather around the fire as we get ready to dive into a character that I am particularly interested in. Thank you very much, Sean. So appreciated. You rock. Um, I'm particularly interested in having a deep dive in because it's a character that I'm quite aware of, but not very aware of. I'm gonna get onto that in a little bit when we move into our introduction. But beyond that, it's one that um I think it's fair to say that the good old lore master of So-tech over there knows really rather well indeed.
1: Yes, that's that's yeah, and it's it's a dangerous subject, which is why I've got things to protect me. I've got my lizard sort <laughs> <sword to> of <go. laughs> <Moments>, no moment's <laughs> notes.
0: I'm actually wearing my uh, little cloaky thing that I wore when I dressed up as the uh, advisor for the last stream that we had. Let's say it was a pretty poor dressing up as the advisor. I've got a beard that does right. Um, I mean,
1: he's pretty. He's pretty shambly by the. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> one of the games. Um,
0: I had, uh, I had myself a nice e top on. I had some tinsel to represent his belt with all the symbols on it because <laughs> that's accurate, right? That's exactly what it was like. Anyway, uh, obviously today is my birthday stream, um, and this stream, unlike our previous Lord Beard stream, had a caveat attached to it, and that was I could bloody well choose whatever subject I wanted because it's my birthday. God damn it! However we did put up three topics for choice and i'm going to go through those three topics because i chose them all for a reason because it's my bloody birthday so i get to say why i chose them i may be saying it's my bloody birthday quite a lot (laughs) because it is right anyway let's dive into why i chose them we chose three topics specifically for this uh, stream so i had a nice little discussion about it because Each of them is pretty relevant to what I'm doing right now. One of them in a somewhat disturbing way. Um, And... (laughs) pretty disturbingly. Oh, yeah, don't, and, don't put
1: it that way, did I?
0: <laughs> <laughs> And I was uh, keen to take a deep dive into them. So we'll go through them very quickly for those of you out there who may not know what those subjects are so that you can possibly know that we w- what we may be discussing as we move into the new year next year. So the first of the topics was Ubersreich. Now, if you don't know Ubersreich, it's one of the main city stroke towns of the Reichland in the Empire. You may know it from the Total War side as that place that you conquered lots. Um, Because, you know, it's there by the mountains and you can conquer it a lot. Yeah. Easy, easy to stomp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, easy to stomp Ubers Reich. But Ubers Reich has got a massive history that's super fascinating and does involve it getting stomped a lot. And one of the great things about Ubers Reich, as far as I'm concerned, is well, I produced the place. Um, when the recent Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4 version of Ubers Reich came out, we made a massive story change for it to tra- explain and justify what happened in the third edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay for it, which was, why is this place a giant free city? And we explained why in the fourth edition of the game, and we delved deep with Carl Franz having seized it for mysterious reasons. And a whole plot started swirling around Uber's right, this important city. Now, I produced the entire set. I was there hand-holding its entire construction And as part of that, I spoke to Fat Shark a lot. Now, you might know Fat Shark if you played Vermintide. Uh, Vermintide, that great game of killing Skaven by the billion. Um, And we discussed uh, Uber's right quite a bit because they used the third edition for their inspiration because their setting was almost identical to the third edition setting right by the end times. But I was 10 years earlier. So we discussed what they had done, I added some extra bits and in return they gave me a programmer's development version of Uber's right that I could fly through which was awesome.
1: Yeah, I'm I could surprised. fly. Cuz it's Ooh. so fun to explore it, but it's a lot harder when there's like thousands of skaven poking you in the butt the entire time.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it was a bit, whenever I got annoyed I was like, "Why? Oh, uh stop, stop. Why? Um so Obviously, their game didn't have all of Uber's Right built, but it did have all the main uh, areas that were focused in the game itself. So I got to wander through those main corridors, see the big bridge, see exactly what their map of the city was like, Um, which means that in turn, when we built our version, I oversaw every single last location in the place. I did the maps myself, and I know it back to front. And my next stream on the Lawhammer side is going to be what was the whole point of the starter set? It's going to be explaining it. It's going to be explaining what happened with Uber's right, the fall of Uber's right, and why Karl Franz chose to seize it. And it indeed directly ties to yeah. a certain advisor. So that um, is why I chose that one. The second one was Nikari. Um, although if you are a hard pronunciation expert, you'll know that the dash, the dash, pardon me, the apostrophe, makes it a glottal stop, so it should actually be n kari But that's by the by. Um, who, who pronounces <laughs> it tell like that Someone anyway? Workshop that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite. Apostrophes <laughs> mean something, God damn it. Um, they do in my stream, at least, when I'm doing the Lawhammer side. Now, Nakari is a greater demon that's strongly, strongly connected to the line of Anarian, the Phoenix King of the Elves, the very first King of the Elves. And one of my PCs, as was directly stated in the last stream, is a direct descendant of that Phoenix King. And I'm a really close one as well. Um, and there's some discussion to be had around that. And the greater demon involved with that was Central to much of what is potentially going to occur along that side of the various plots in my uh, game. Again, my birthday, I can choose plots that are relevant to the stuff <laughs> I like. God damn it! But I will also <laughs> add that Nakari, when it first came out in the fourth edition of the fourth edition of Warhammer, so the first uh, army list for the High Elves, um, and the story of Nakari is presented there, and what it developed into is super fascinating. And I was really looking forward to potentially diving into that because. I freaking love that um, uh, demon. I've painted that demon, or at least made my own conversion out of the old metal model all the way back when I was tiny. Painted that demon several times and was really looking forward to giving that one a good chat. But instead, (laughs) we landed elsewhere. The vote was cast almost 8,000 of you went, hey, this is what I want. And we landed (laughs) instead On the advisor from Total War Warhammer. Now you might immediately go, Well, this is just going to be a total war subject, then, because this doesn't really apply to say fantasy roleplay, it doesn't apply to say the battle game, to which I'm gonna say absolute rot, Fools. absolute nonsense. Fools. <laughs> yeah, that that that's that, that nonsense talk. Absolute nonsense talk. Indeed, the advisor. Um, was not only in my last stream from last Friday, uh, which will be, I imagine, released uh, this Monday, um, as a core character. It starts with him and ends with him. Um, he is a character who is deeply fascinating with a really interesting story and because he's attached to a computer game, it's a story that doesn't have a fixed end because the ends of all stories in computer games are down to whatever choices you make as you play, meaning that they can go in different directions. Hey, thank you so much. That's super appreciated. Rock, happy birthday to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and I'm using that character in my fantasy role-play game. So if you're out there wondering, can this character be used in Warhammer fantasy role-play? Not only can the character be used, it is a perfect fit for a variety of reasons that we'll begin to go into. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that the version that we're using in the Lawhammer side is the same, and the same that a Total War makes some great liberties as it attempts to tie everything that ever was to Warhammer into their game. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I yeah,
1: to say the least. Yeah.
0: Great liberties there. <laughs> um, meaning that Total War in general shouldn't be seen as an example of Warhammer lore in a perfect crystal encapsulment. Instead it should be seen as something that we can all look at and go, that's fucking awesome let's take the best of that and draw it into our stories. So Mm. that's what I've done with the advisor on my side. But I will say though that the advisor as a starting point, and I would argue in terms of the character as a whole the initial reasons for him existing um, really do dictate his story but the reasons for his existence lie outside of the Warhammer world because obviously the game the war game had its own needs and the needs of that game dictated that there was somebody who spoke to all factions but we'll get onto that as I pass over to good old Sotec in a moment and say you can carry <laughs> on and explain all that nonsense Um, before I do go on to that though I am going to say one thing because it's my fucking birthday <clears throat> Someone, I, mean,
1: I hope someone's keeping a, a counter for how many times Andy says that over the course of the stream
0: because <laughs> I am going to say a freaking lot um So it's my fucking birthday, and many of you out there really enjoy our streams, and we really enjoy doing these. And many of you out there would really like to say thanks, but you might not be in the best place to say thanks. Now, not everybody can be like Hammond and drop in every two minutes and go, here's a pun, and drop super chats and all that sort of stuff. (laughs) We fully understand that, but there are things you can do if you'd like to support us, particularly on my birthday. So if you're out there watching right now, there are just two things that I'm going to ask that you do. And I'm, I'm going to ask that you do it this time rather than going, go on, go on. Number one is I have a Patreon. I'm not saying go and put money in it. Uh, I have a massive studio I'm attempting to build at this end. And we just had a 45,000 pound bill in for putting <laughs> that together. That's where I'm going to be streaming Lower Beards once it's built um the patrons for building the studio we bought ourselves a massive pc which is currently sitting down there um we're going to be streaming total war with that and doing lots of fun things but that's in our future um the patrons for that but you don't need to give us money you can subscribe to that for free you can just pop in and you'll get notifications about all the cool stuff that we do and that is super nice if you'd like to do so it makes a huge difference on our side because the more people that are following us triggers algorithm bullshit that they worry about over The the
1: true dark gods of our universe. Yeah,
0: the the true dark gods. Now, obviously, if you fancy going and going, hey, Andy, I'd really like to help contribute towards your studio of doom, I'm not going to say no. Happy birthday, me. But I'm definitely going (laughs) to offer that as a you don't need to. Just click on the follow and you'll get uh, all the stuff that we do sent to your inbox and it helps me on the algorithm side. So even if you're not that interested, just subscribe anyway so that i get the algorithm benefit happy birthday to me the second one is you're watching on my channel right now now whether you're watching this 10 years later or you're watching it today it's currently on my channel here now or you're click listening to the podcast the... just go to his channel <laughs> oh yeah good point if you're watching the podcast go do some homework and find my channel um <laughs> uh, <laughs> click subscribe that's all i'm asking for i'm not saying throw everything else at me i'm not saying do anything just press subscribe particularly over on also the youtube like and, leave a comment. and <laughs> like and leaving comments are are nice Please. but i'm only asking today happy birthday andy subscribe 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 that's it
1: nice. no andy's too nice i brought my sword here so
0: if you don't do those things <laughs> i will rip into you with the shark teeth on this thing i swear to god now there is a benefit on your side as well because when we hit our first 5k subscribers on YouTube on the Lohammer channel, good old lore master of Zotec will be doing yeah. himself a very good quick head taker video which we have been discussing behind the scenes every once in a while. I'm super excited to see where that one's going to land. Also, just in case everybody who does watch this video decides to press subscribe, which is a possibility. If you all do, if we hit 10k, i will tear into fucking guilt we'll have an
1: actual guilt stream there's a lot of yeah. really interesting things i will bring up amidst andy's rantings but <laughs> it would be a very awesome episode
0: he's a fascinating character he is i mean i've also almost like that a creme creme shut up andy <laughs> uh i have, i have
1: deeply come to the decision games workshop greatly wasted what guilt could have been which leads to some really interesting discussions but anyway uh we have a lot of super chats to catch up on.
0: yes we do let's start off with holy artist
1: 95 It's your birthday, you read. read. Okay, I'll read.
0: read. Happy birthday, Mr. Law. But isn't it... I'm not going to sing the whole thing. Isn't it the case that the Total War series is a sandbox game and not lore accurate? For instance, some of the characters we can play are dead before the end times and alike, Right, right? Well, yes, but you'll find that there are answers for this in Total War. Um, There is a reason why various characters are doing the deed, so to speak, and if you want to tie those into your games, you can do so. The great canon of lore that is Games Workshop's lore is really lots of separate streams, and sometimes those streams connect. Don't cross the streams, yeah. says Ghostbusters, but they do, yeah. um, meaning that... The only true lore is what the studio produces for the current edition of the game. Everything that comes before is basically fodder for them to create whatever they're working on today. But the same is the case for every game that's out there, including the licensees. They look at the current edition of the game, which in our case at the moment is the eighth edition of Warhammer. For all we've got the old world coming, the eighth edition of Warhammer and the end times, that is canon as far as Games Workshop is concerned. Anything before that isn't. All the roleplay games, all the books, kind of aren't they're all there to be suggestions and ideas for stuff that they can pull together and the same is the case for total war when total war sits down they take the eighth edition of the game they look at it and go well that's great now what's all the other stuff and can i pull that in and use it so you're right while simultaneously i would say if you're sitting there going what is the lore of warhammer it is all of those things but they do tend to sit in their own tram lines
1: yeah i would i would say the yes but no answer of like any of the characters that are dead it's not that hard within lord justifications to bring them back to life a lot of them it's not hard at all it happens um now if you're like oh i don't like that version
0: okay that's your version (laughs) like that's how it works dan is very
1: wibbly wobbly
0: oh inquisitor thanks for sending um birthday greetings from Cyrus gorman super appreciated. (laughs) Let's move on. my empire. <laughs> <laughs> my um, empire. So I'm currently playing in the year 2512 when Thyrus Gorman is the supreme patriarch. As is right and proper, he should never have been beaten by that horrible gold. To be fair, gelded cheat thing. like like it, it, it canonically gelded cheat. Del did cheat. <laughs> I'm straight. Um, the laughing god, <laughs> wishing you a happy birthday, Andy. Thanks. About to run a game of War Fantasy Roleplay starter set. Good, Whee! I was mentioning that at the beginning of the stream. except for some players new to the hobby. Thank you for all your hard work on the Slotech Ring. Very love for the hobby. That is so awesome. The starter set was designed for exactly this reason. As I mentioned at the beginning, it's set in Ubers Reich. It does have a bit of a mystery as to why the Ubers Reich is the way it is. What, why are Altdorf troopers sweeping through the area? I'll be covering that in my stream next Friday. That's gonna be lots of fun. Hey, Gary, you rock. Thank you very much for the super chat. Happy birthday, you beloved bearded map master. Oh, Oh, thanks.
1: Oh, wait, you're not talking about me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Aaron, birthday wish. Thanks so much for all the birthday wishes. It's so super appreciated. Um, Sir Law, thank you very much. I have been dubbed Sir Law. Thank you for your lore contributions and hours of entertainment alongside the lore master. Next comes Gary. Hey, Gary Reynolds. Happy damn birthday. Damn right. You beloved beautiful. Is that the one I just read? Yeah, no, he did two of them. He did two happy birthday messages. Holy moly. Thank you very much,
1: Gary. <laughs> That's super nice. One was a, one was a simple happy birthday.
0: Then it was a happy damn birthday. Happy damn birthday. <laughs> Thanks very much for that one, Adam. Super appreciated. And uh, Alana Lett. I'm going to say that's how you pronounce it, because that sounds cool. Happy birthday to Andy. Didn't have a chance to ask on the Chaos War stream, so I'll ask here, how does Nagashazar compare to Zar Nagarun? Well, that's a stream in and of itself, isn't it? Um, let's just say <laughs> they compare interestingly, because My, they're both <laughs> quite different but also both quite awful. One builds up, one builds down, one has an outdoor air system,
1: and one <laughs> has an inside a mountain system.
0: And 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 industry, and how that industry expresses, if you're going to sum it up with anything in particular. Yeah, they are they're, they're similar point. levels of don't siege it because you're not going to do well. Indeed. So with that all done, thank you very much for bearing with me as we all settle in. I would like to pass over to the always marvelous always wonderful lore master of Sotech, and ask him, why do you think Creative Assembly decided that the advisor was the route forward, and whilst they may have liked to do something else, what's the truth?
1: Okay, so so I'm going to get the boring part out of the way first, which is that it's a video game, and in a video <laughs> game you need tutorials. You need a system that explains how to play the game, and in some games, they, they'll just do like a dry, like it pauses the game, and it... <laughs>
0: I'm starting to drink because it's my I birthday. Sa- I
1: thought you said I was wonderful. Why do you have to drink to get through my explanation, Andy? <laughs> I'm insulted. But uh, uh so, so with the Total War devs, they wanted to create uh, a more interesting system. They didn't just want like a boring, dry tutorial. Uh, just like with prior Total War games, they wanted an in-universe voice acted character who talks to you now in prior games it's usually just kind of like a nameless individual who is from whatever culture you're playing whether it's shogun or rome or whatever but in this case they decided to do something a little different which is that they introduced a genuine character named the advisor and the advisor from a our universe perspective very basically is a guy whose job is to say, hey, did you know that you should put your combat units in front of your ranged units? And hey, did you know you could build buildings in your city slots? And hey, public order is a thing. You don't want rebellions, do you? That's that's his job. But he often does it from a in-character perspective Um, Which kind of vaguely implies that he can break the fourth wall because he's often talking to the character, not necessarily the warlord. In later games, they edit him where he speaks to the warlord, not the player. Uh, But we'll get into why that's actually still kind of interesting. If you want to get really meta, I
0: have advice for you, my lord, as he is often dropping in
1: so uh yes that is the advisor uh to put things very simply uh are everyone's favorite guy who not only tells you advice but also in warhammer 2 incessantly yells ogres my lord whenever ogres show up to the point where it became really fucking annoying <laughs> but uh <'cause> he always <laughs> wants you to know there's ogres
0: <laughs> ogres my lord <laughs> um yeah, oh, yeah. I, I missed the earlier comment as well. I'll get to you in just a second, Cody. Hey, Jonathan, so the advisor was Andy long along? Absolutely. Yeah. It was Andy yeah, all Andy did the along. Mob, yeah. <laughs> 100%, you can tell. I got my beard to wave just like his. It was great. Um, uh, Cody pops said. aside from Sieges, when have logistics affected the outcome of a battle campaign? That's an enormous question, which I think is ever so slightly beyond the advisor scope. But I will say that in Warhammer, you tend to find that they focus on fights and they always have done to the point that if you're writing a novel for example there will be often an editorial comment coming your way saying yeah but where's the fighting (laughs) (laughs) so you tend to find that they are more concentrated on the battle than the logistics although when you go into background books and similar they often pull up facts that may be useful however on the total war side the logistics are part and parcel of the campaign itself
1: yes so that is the meta, or that's the real world thing about the advisor, which is boring, and we're done with it. So let's move on to the exciting bit. I'm gonna,
0: I'm gonna add one extra part as well because this one is a question that I know comes up quite a few times. Because I remember last time I was talking to Andy, it literally came up when we were uh, doing Q and A, Q&A, and that is, why the bloody hell, uh, advisor, human? Ah, I play no. orcs. I play dwarves. And the answer to that's going to come as we discuss it further. Mm -hmm. But the real answer, the real answer is it's cheap. Yeah. Get one guy who's in the studio
1: to do all the voice acting and we can reuse the same character asset for all the campaigns. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we'll just do it that way.
0: The necessities of that meant that they needed to start figuring out stories. And whilst the very first game didn't really give you a strong reason why, as it goes on, that reason becomes a little bit more prevalent. Why is the advisor doing what the advisor's doing? And also, why does everyone pay attention? So there is definitely something to come along that one. Hey, Holy Artist.
1: Uh, I think the advisor is good for starting players, but not all factions get him as Nyestra and Arhan get the Prophetess uh, Nyestra. Or, uh, 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 not Nystra, that's the damn... Um... The prophetess, gosh darn it, her name is not coming to my brain. The wood elf, prophetess, which one? Yes, thank you, Niath. I was like, I know it starts with an N, yeah, Niath the prophetess, yeah, uh, is the advisor character. There are probably others, uh, with that as why would Corn listen to a human instead of Corn's teachings? We'll get to that. The advisor does actually advise Corn, uh, but um, the we will we will get to the reasons why some factions don't have him and why some factions do have him later. Because you'll notice that in Warhammer Two, the advisor is not in that game. He's just not there. Um, we'll talk mm-hmm. about that. Um, I, I there's a genuine good reason for it, um, but we'll we'll get to it all in good time.
0: Kabanda pops in. I am not going to do the big shouting <laughs> voice because we've had enough of me shouting already. But happy birthday, Andy <laughs> says Kabanda. I can't really relate to the whole being born thing, but I suppose it's something you mortals things mortals things? Worthy of celebration. I uh, think think is the word I should have said there instead of thing. And yes, indeed, uh, we to mortals... Fair, he type do... thing. <laughs> yeah, he did type thing. Um, we mortals thing do indeed think it is worthy of celebration. And if you wish to join us in our celebrations, please do remember to press subscribe. <laughs> yeah, make sure you get any nice nice skull for his birthday Uh, (laughs) yeah we do need them hey CB4N off topic but are you also excited for the New Bertone old world novel that seems to have leaked yeah Graham McNeil's one um uh Graham McNeil is a great friend of us over on the rookery side um and I love Graham McNeil so I could hardly be more excited because I he love does his work. at freaking rock. This is the first time um, I've so, heard about yes. that,
1: and I'm super fucking excited. I uh, did, did not you not know. know? There's a whole British. No, novel. I'm super excited released. now.
0: <laughs> it, art is already online for it. Apparently, yes. But uh, it's i might have to
1: go look that up because Graham McNeil is a really good author. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah really good.
0: happy birthday, Andy. I am very new to Warhammer. Great to help hold your hand through the first steps of your Warhammer lore, and have really enjoyed learning stuff from watching you and Sotek. As someone who suffers from severe chronic illness, you guys really brighten up my days. Delighted. I also suffer from far too many things that I uh, care to admit, but I have literally every pill known to man over here to cope with that shit. (laughs) It it works, right? And that's why I'm drinking myself to an early grave. Happy uh, birthday to me. <laughs> thank you all for
1: so much for the sweet messages. And Samuel, I hope you're doing all right. Uh, hang yeah, in there. me too. Thank you, Samuel. You Glad wrote. we could provide you some entertainment. Okay, so. We're here for you. So we're past the, the quote unquote boring parts of the advisor.
0: So let's get on to what <laughs> he actually is. Before we do that, I would like to tackle an actual question that I have. Oh. Because it's a question that I know bears <laughs> a certain level of controversy controversy say hey i have started on the jack daniels already and that is <laughs> given that the story of total war is almost certainly out of chronological order and we are going to have to have ourselves a beginning here somewhere where do you think the beginning begins with our games one two and three
1: right so this is a really good place to start which is actually before the advisor and then we'll get to the advisor um now i'm going to go ahead and preface and say i have on a stream, chatted with Andy Hall <laughs> about The right Andy. Yeah, the other Andy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's so many Andys. <laughs> but uh, um, whilst chatting with him, uh, it became, there was, it's kind of a joke that they didn't, Total War didn't really have a plan of tying all the games together narratively. They were originally intended to be their own separate kind of storylines. But with Warhammer 3 being kind of uh, planned as a big tie together game, thank you, but. That's super I, nice.
0: May Gelt never find you. I didn't realize Gelt was a boogeyman. <laughs> <laughs> and hello, YouTube chat from the good old Twitch chat over on their side. Hope your day is bright and wonderful. They're so lovely over on Twitch. A oh, good old Twitch. Uh, so um,
1: the original plan for the games was as a trilogy. They did not have a tied together narrative. Uh, Andy and the narrative team decided to kind of mess with that, and instead, with Warhammer 3, they brought back the advisor, which raised a lot of eyebrows because of what happens to him in Warhammer 1, which we'll get to, and uh, it was revealed later that Warhammer 3 is a prequel. Uh, (laughs) The Andy League. But that still kind of opens the question of, okay, well, if 3 is a prequel, then where do 2 and 1 fall into things? So is it 3, 2, 1, or is it two, three, one, because one definitely comes at the end. Um, That is, that is a hundred percent. Now Andy kind of just threw an answer to us that he kind of felt that it may have gone three, two, one. However, I am going to provide you all with a, I think very concrete explanation that it's actually two, three, one. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, For one, the advisor is not in Warhammer two. Um, although his voice is there uh, he he does he does talk through your intro he does not actually show up he doesn't interact with any of the characters uh which he does in the prior games both warhammer one and warhammer three no matter which campaign you pick at the start have a
0: (laughs) shut up twitch don't talk to (laughs) me youtube always friendly shut up twitch (laughs) oh you Robo baggins oh Oh, that's so sweet the, half, the halfling shot up, the hobbit showed up for your birthday. <laughs> for my 111th birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Andy. Love your streams. And thanks for making this incredibly complex universe accessible to us all. We try. Thank you so much. I cannot express how much we appreciate that. As uh, Commander Bone also pops in. So who was the advisor? We'll A get to that. Wizard. <laughs> We're about to get that. A hedge w- wizard, mercenary wizard, who pursues knowledge. He's more enigmatic than Drakenfels. He's not as enigmatic as you might think think, actually, because we're definitely going to get to that bit. And finally, the Wrath of Woo. Happy birthday, Andy. Thank you. Hope you're both well. We are. Remember, folks, it's a good thing to be a Warhammer Andy. Yes, it is. Yeah, so, uh, why do I think Warhammer 2 comes
1: first? Um, now, the easy answer is to say, well, the advisor's not in it, and he is in 3, and he's, like, fairly new to the role um, uh, in the grand scheme of things, and then in 1, he's much older, and his story comes to an end. A conclusion so therefore oh well two must be first but i'm going to give you an actual reason why two is first so the timeline of warhammer uh total war warhammer goes like this of that uh leading into the events of warhammer 2 uh granted this is very spoilery so for some reason if you haven't played the first two games you're like but i want the story of those yeah. games even oh, though uh,
0: let me reiterate that one this is super mega fucking spoilery um because it does speak to the very hearts of what the games are and as we move into the third one it's going to be if anything as big, if not bigger, on the spoiler front. So, if you are sitting, playing campaigns at the moment, just now thinking, "I don't want to know the story," this is the stream that you should perhaps just throw lots of money at this at and then run. <laughs> that makes well, sense. I mean, don't play strive. the game and come back and watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: totally. I'll come back later. <laughs> yes. Uh, Pony, Pony Pineapple, thank you. Oh, you share, well, happy birthday to you, Pineapple. Indeed, happy birthday
0: to you.
1: Yeah. Nice. So, with the spoiler warning out of the way um warhammer 2 everything's normal the world's just carrying on like mad as it always does and then something weird happens which is that defying prophecies defying everyone's understanding of how this is supposed to work the twin-tailed comet just shows up um the dragon with two tails the the fork the fork serpent's tongue all the various names it's known about it just shows up and the only race that really seems to have any head warning that this might be happening are the lizardmen in the sacred plaques they have a heads up that this is going to occur but everyone else is caught very off guard and the thing is is that when the comet appears it starts really screwing with the winds of magic which is not unprecedented but is a little unusual um like it really starts messing with the winds of magic to the extent that the vortex in Ulthwan begins to destabilize And all of the races that are part of the main Warhammer 2 storyline begin to take action to take advantage of this destabilization. With Malekith going through a scheme to absorb the vortex into himself, which is fucking terrifying mm. uh the elves are of course just trying to fix it the lizardmen decide that they should use the geomantic web to forcibly fix it because no one else can be trusted and the skaven decide to just blow it up and use it as a gateway to summon in the great horned rat which would
0: literally be an apocalypse scenario um so and and the pause there thank you very much aaron the twitch chat approaches with their damned compliments and
1: their nice their nice behaviors truly a most <laughs> threatening display But uh, so... And Thanks, guys. This, this also sets other things into motion. So for instance, if you play the Tomb King campaign, the, the Winds of Magic start going crazy and it causes the Black Pyramid to start waking up, so to speak. And this is what pushes the Tomb Kings into action. Uh, mm-hmm. And the Vampire Coast, dis- they are kind of off just doing their own thing, but they discover that there is a way to kill Aminar and perform a ritual because of the destabilized Winds of Magic that would resurrect mm-hmm. him, which would literally make the biggest Undead creature I know of in the setting. Eminar is fucking gigantic. I actually don't even think the games do him justice for how big he's supposed to be. Uh, because he literally like eats an entire demon army during the Great Cataclysm, which is just bonkers. But anyway, uh, so that is what happens in Warhammer 2. It's revealed as you play through the campaign that it's not actually the twin-tailed comet, it's not the reoccurring comet that comes back every such and such amount of years, it's a fake. And what it is. Bum, bum, bum. B- Of course, it's Skaven shenanigans. It is a it is a rocket ship made in the vague shape of a meteor made purely out of warp stone with metal components added on, and there's a suicidal Skaven driving it, which is the funniest cinematic in the whole game of just being like ah flying around space in a sputnik mission. Uh, so he revolves around the planet a few times until he runs out of fuel and when he <laughs> runs out of fuel there was no contingency plan he just falls to the earth and blows up which is just great uh, but what it did successfully do is it re- it's revealed that the council of 13 are the big bands uh, yep. that they manipulated everybody including the other skaven clans into action by destabilizing the vortex so that they could perform the big ritual to summon the great horn rat uh, because that's kind of like the big thing everyone's trying to avoid is either the, the Greyhorn Rat coming into existence. Unless you're playing at the Skaven, in which case your goal is to murder the Greyseer Clan and take credit for summoning the uh, Greyhorn Rat into existence. So he'll be happy with you. But the canonic, there is a canonical ending to the game, which is that the High Elves win. Um, the High Elves successfully defeat Malekith, preventing him from absorbing the Vortex. And the Lizardmen show up and help defeat the Skaven, and then they retreat. So uh, the High Elves managed to get the Vortex back under control and things stabilized. However, the reason that I say with confidence that Warhammer 2 is first is because of the epilogues. Every single one of the campaigns has an epilogue. And Mm -hmm. all of the campaigns, with a very, very rare exception, have one bad guy in the epilogue, which is Nakari. Nakari shows up in the Lizardman epilogue where the slon lord of Tloxlan, I believe, wakes up. Uh, who is the slon lord of the skink character and the uh the you cannot do that, which is my favorite skink character? Um, him and the Crocscore guy that you follow through the Lizardman storyline, their per- personal slon is asleep the entire campaign, which is why they go see Lord Mazda Mundi. Um, that slan wakes up and he goes, Oh fuck, the Kari's coming. Like the Kari is breaking out. We need to do something. Uh and If you play the Tomb King campaign, Uh, at the end of the campaign, uh, if you're playing as Archon the Black, Archon goes into the Black period of Nagash and he summons a big ritual to resurrect Nagash. But as he's doing it, the ritual gets co-opted and Nakari shows up and talks to Archon and says, your master isn't here. Nagash is not here. He's elsewhere. And Archon the Black goes, what the hell are you doing here? And Nakari kind of laughs at him and points out some other shenanigans um, before fading away. And then in the if you play the Vampire Coast campaign, most of those end following n- n- Whispers of Nagash returning, uh, or uh, Drakenfels shows up in Solosha Deerfonds. Drakenfels is calling Solosha Deerfond to him. And then uh, beyond that, uh, the Dark Elves are just doing Dark Elf shenanigans, and uh, the High Elves find out that Tyrion's, acoly- er, Tyrion's servant in that game is actually a Dark Elf ploy. But any event. Amidst all of these shenanigans, Nakari is kind of lurking in the background. Then, in Warhammer Three, we find out that all of the demon lords, so Kugoth, Nakari, Scarbrand, and Kairos, Fate Weaver, are outside of the realms of chaos because the demons are invading everywhere because the vortex was destabilized. Without the vortex working the way it's supposed to, magic around the world would go crazy and would allow demons to manifest very easily. And this is important because the whole point of Warhammer 3 is that when Urson roars, he cuts off all of the demons from the realm of chaos. They can't get back in, which is really fucking crazy of a circumstance. But for all of them to be out at the exact same time would suggest that they were able to get out very, very easily because demons are all over the place.
0: Let me answer this one for you. Still (laughs) (coughs) loading? It's my birthday, and I'll party if I want to. In the UK, you get yourself crackers. I don't know if you're from the UK, but if you're not, I will explain very briefly. Christmas crackers are a common thing at this time of the year, which is a small cardboard tube, all decorated up, looking pretty, that you pull. And it has a small, let's just call it a firework inside. It has a small snap. Bang! As you pull it apart. And inside that, you get a party hat and some sort of treat. My birthday, so I'm wearing a party hat. That is what I'm wearing. Yeah, don't worry. I'll also just say, given everything that Sotek has just said over there, um, you'll begin to realize why Nakari was one of the characters that I chose. Um, you'll find that you can tie all of these events, if you want to use Total War and all of the stories that Total War uses, into your Warhammer games, if you wish to do so. For example, the Twin Tail Comet that flashed through the sky and was very much the herald of the birth of Valton that can be easily tied through to the plots that are put forward in the second game and that also to some degree outs Valton as potentially not Sigmar Reborn which is super fun. Yeah. Um, there's lots of fun ways that you can tie in all of these existing plot lines that have been added by Total War over its last however many years and use them to reinforce the setting from Warhammer 8 and go well this adds some new implications which are super fun and throughout all of this we do know that it's relatively long ago at least this part of it because of what comes next in Warhammer 3
1: yes also yeah yeah the Eddie is wearing a crown it is not a head bandage he did not <laughs> he oh. did not suffer a traumatic head it, injury it's it's a it's a, it's a
0: cracker <laughs> crown please i I
1: realized to my fellow Americans, it it looks like a bandage.
0: (laughs) No, it's a purple crown. It's a really, really tight one. It's a small one, but it's the only cracker I had in the house. But I'll be damned if I'm not wearing a cracker hat.
1: And uh, Hammond, uh, thank you. I'm not surprised at all that you used to be called Dodgy Johnson.
0: Dodgy Johnson. (laughs) I mean, were you called Dodgy Johnson? (laughs) So Dodgy Johan looks all the better. Um, Anyway, carrying on. Yeah, Warhammer Three. This takes us to actually we're gonna we are not there
1: yet. There's something we mm-hmm. have to do, which is actually the Warhammer One intro cinematic. Oh, which yeah, good point. Was not originally part of this timeline, but now it is. Mm-hmm. So what am I talking about? Well, w- way back, like I think it's like eight years ago now. Um, the Total War Warhammer games got announced with an intro movie that was CGI and it was very very nice and very professionally well made. And it features a strange old man who nobody knows who is a light wizard. He's wearing all of the clothes of the light college. He's got the classic staff with like the serpent iconography. He's a full on light wizard. And he's in a really giant library with a bunch of big books. And as he's in there, there is clearly a siege going on outside. Uh, Things are crumbling and he is desperate. He is super desperate. Something bad is happening. Now, in the cinematic, because of the scope of the game, it only focuses on, like, vampires, green skins, and dwarfs, and yada, yada, yada. But I would say when you're taking everything together as a whole, what you have here is a wizard in a mysterious sanctum that is under attack amidst now what we know is the vortex has been destabilized, demons are manifesting everywhere, which means all of the various forces of chaos and destruction are going to be on the rise. They're going to react to there being more magic in the world. They're going to be more aggressive. So he's in a very desperate scenario. And in the trailer, he literally talks about that. He's looking for an answer. He's looking for a way to halt the advance of the various forces against the empire. And so like he's pious to Sigmar, he's pious, all these forces and he grabs a book, he throws it down on this table and he starts going through this book. And this book has a ton of crazy info. And it seems to almost be showing him things that are yet to be and things that have happened elsewhere right now and things that have happened in the past. It's a very interesting book. And as he's reading it, something happens, which is that if you pay very close attention to the trailer, you'll see there are like things that are begin creeping across the pages as he keeps reading and reading and reading. And then it reaches a culmination point where all of a sudden all this weird nasty body horror shit comes lurching out of the (laughs) book onto him. And yeah, starts, after
0: he, he touches it with his hand and it all comes crawling out. It's yeah.
1: So it surges through his body. It causes him to mutate very dramatically where if you actually watch carefully, you can see fingernails start growing out of his hand in weird places. He gets like all these bulging veins and all sorts of crazy shit. And it crawls all the way up to his body until it gets to his eyes. And then he closes his eyes. And when he opens them, his eyes have completely changed and he has changed. Dramatically. Uh his voice is much more sinister and dark and he says ah i understand now i see it i see the beast that will devour the world and he turns around he slams his staff down casting a spell that does not look like light magic at all and mm-hmm. it causes a big purple Storm, and then when we see him again, he's standing there, and above him is something in the fog, and it's a greater demon of zinch a lord of change, who roars dramatically, and that's the end of the trailer.
0: Good times. So that, that fun, doesn't it?
1: Yes, that is the start of the advisor story. uh He literally—that is—it's it, very literal. He was a light wizard who opened a book that we now know is a very particular book called the Tome of Fates.
0: Yeah. And uh, this is a scene that gets referenced in later writing as well, um, because when he comes back at a later date to the imperial court, he claims that he was a wizard of the light order. This isn't something that is discarded. Um, this is in the one of the novels. I forget which one. I read it so long ago. Um, it's during the release of the first game. Um, and it's um, it's quite clearly clarified. This is the advisor. He was a light wizard. This isn't mysterious at all. It's a known fact. Um, there is a great deal of a lack of awareness as to who the uh, advisor is. But all of the hints, the breadcrumbs are there if you wish to go follow them. Pick them up and have yourself a good, bready, tasty treat. Um, and as I drop down with a quick one from Matthew there. Hey, Matthew. Has Andy seen the Nurgle Celeste reveal trailer? Funny you should say that. <laughs> we will get to that. advisors are in it because that's definitely coming up. And have I seen it? Oh, God, yes, I have. Because
1: awesome, yes. <laughs> so that gives us the initial creation of the advisor who does not have <laughs> dealing with the touchy and the no place staff. Oh,
0: no, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, uh, let me just say, uh, let me just answer this one directly. Um, because there's one other one there, yes. Let me Did just you say that one you more time? If you're listening to it. Are we sure he's not Egrim Van Horstman? Oh, Horstman. Horseman? Horseman. <laughs> Horseman? I, I missed the spelling. <laughs> oh, that's uh, not to laugh at you still loading because uh, uh, that's probably an autocorrect error, but it is hilarious. Egrim the Horseman. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yes, he definitely isn't Egrim Van Horseman. Yeah. Uh, yes, Horseman uh, has a
1: different narrative focus. And also, Horseman has a big fuck off dragon and is also significantly more powerful,
0: <laughs> to be fair. Interesting. You should say that, Abyss Walker. We will be getting onto that.
1: Yes, we will get to the demon. Uh,
0: Definitely getting onto that, yes, and the answer there. is yes, yes, it is.
1: It absolutely is.
0: But we'll get onto that in a
1: moment. Yep. Yeah. So, what is the Tome of Fates? I think this is a good point to dive into what this book
0: is. I think it's a damn fine po- uh, point to do it.
1: Yeah, and it, it will explain why he took the risk of opening it in the first place, which is that the Tome of Fates, which was concealed in this place, that was likely a sanctum of the light college because the light college is responsible for locking away artifacts that cannot be destroyed or maybe they should destroy them, but they don't because maybe they'll be useful later.
0: Yeah, um, let's drop in a couple of uh, loose facts here that has been brought up in multiple publications under slightly different names. The Light College and Altdorf as a whole has got a chamber, the Chamber Unbreachable, which somewhat amusingly in, say, for example, Dark Omen gets breached again and again and again. And indeed, in the role-play game as well, the Chamber Unbreachable gets breached by Beastmen as they steal some stuff out of there. But it's where they hold all of the artifacts that, cannot be held by, say, the Cult of Sigmar or anything else, and all the artifacts that can't be destroyed. And normally these are artifacts that are directly related to one of the greater demons that are out there. And by controlling it and hoarding it, they stop it influencing the greater world. And there's no order like the Light Order for holding these things in place. They have the correct magic and the correct rituals for hopefully containing them. That being said... That also means that the Light College is a repository of all the fucking awful stuff. And if anyone should get in there or accidentally get, let's say, corrupted by something that's in there, you might get yourself a Van Horstman on your hands. That, however, is for another stream. In this case, we've probably got a similar situation where we've got ourselves perhaps in the Arcane Library. There's a very famous library that the... um, light college has which isn't held there it's held over in caraberg or perhaps in the chamber unbreachable but whatever the case is light magisters are responsible for looking after these and they should know bloody better than to look at them but it doesn't mean that when the whispers start whispering they don't listen i'm joining the patreon to request bojack von
1: horseman gets into the law ever campaign hey it's an expensive tier but i i would love to see that because i would love to see how andy would have to deal with what that character what he would be
0: i think i could make that work
1: um hey
0: viper So they Um, definitely have
1: Splanesha Sentai collection. Yeah, that's definitely
0: down there somewhere. Definitely down there somewhere. Um, And the Light Wizards, they're the ones to deal with it. Indeed, Light Wizards are often celibate. Not necessarily for that reason. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps for that reason. Uh, Anyway! I can't (laughs) do it anymore! The demon has arisen. The book has done its thing. And it is fair to say that at this point, even though this is the very beginning of the character, and you could argue that later on the character goes in slightly different directions, Regardless of that, we've got ourselves now someone who is deeply tainted, corrupted, and at this point, relatively mutated, which will change later. And it leads to a host of speculations as to why it has changed later. And there is a really obvious and clean answer for that, because he is going to be influencing pretty much, potentially, every faction in the Warhammer world. Which means that there's got to be a reason that they listen.
1: Yes, so... Uh, About the Book of Fates itself, as far as what it is, the Book of Fates canonically is revealed to be a book that cannot be opened unless it itself chooses to open. So it's a book that reacts to things going on in the world. And when it does open, it reveals the past, the present, and potential futures. And it tells the reader how to achieve these certain futures. So it'll tell them, you need to go to this place. You need to influence these people to do this. And if you successfully do all these things, then this particular future will come about. And it is a incredibly powerful thing to have because it can allow you to genuinely change fate. Because if you're aware of everything that happens in the past and you know a lot of things that are going on in the present where you're not at, that gives you so much information. And information is power. It doesn't matter what timeline you're in or what kind of setting you're playing with. Information is one of the most powerful things in existence. Mm-hmm. So to have that power is incredible, but the Book of Fates comes with a kneecap to the person reading it, which is that the Book of Fates cannot be used by the reader. It can only be used in the search explicitly, <laughs> which is a good way in a very Zinchian way to prevent whoever acquires it from just getting ultimate power is that and it, they have to try to use it to help someone else in order to further their
0: own ends. <clears throat> and it also makes the advisor uh, an advisor. Yes. And I know that that's a super obvious thing to say, but you'll find that the book of fates is there because of the requirements that C- creative assembly had for their advisor character. Um, and Building the story around the realities of having just one asset that they could use for their advisors in general, um, it starts off an entire story, kickstarts a story that is going to develop all the way through the rest of the games and really speak to who this character is and exactly what is that character's not only influences on others but the influences upon that character as well. Just want to say thank you very much, there, Darth's manservant. You rock. We love you.
1: I have never actually thought about your name before until just now. I love the idea that Durthu, the big angry tree man that hates all-blooded life, having a human man that's just there attending him with like a little... Like he just has a little butler somewhere in the forest. <laughs> I don't know why, I just thought <laughs> really funny. Um Polishes his giant sword. There we go. Um, So, <laughs> on to... <laughs> on to... Back to the advisor. Uh So... This now, this Warhammer 1 intro, does also imply one other thing, which is the Advisor has his first encounter with a demon, a very particular demon. Now, Warhammer 1 and Warhammer 3 were not originally playing with one another. So what exactly happens here is a little strange, because we get get this light wizard who gets very heavily mutated, is seemingly serving a demon, or at least chatting with a demon, and then all of a sudden in Warhammer 3 he goes to being by himself and he's much younger and normal looking.
0: Yeah. Now, And I just add one thing there just for those of you who don't know what a light wizard is because we didn't really cover that to any degree. In uh, its simplest form light wizards are wizards that are very good at banishing and getting rid of demons. Um, there is a whole lot more to them than that. <laughs> and that's for another stream. But the wind that they use heish, is anathema to demons. Um, So they are very much the demon hunters of the colleges of magic. So you can understand why they would be holding many of these demonic artifacts. It's not just that they happen to be wizards that are capable of handling it. They are the experts. They are also out of all the colleges, the most learned and the most aware. Um, They teach philosophy as just a a core part of their curriculum. Understanding the world is everything that a light magister is about. So you get an uh, idea of the character of him as well. He will be super intelligent. He will be super clever as well, which is not necessarily the same as intelligent, and likely very wise. He will understand demons in a way that most wizards simply won't. And on top of that as well, he'll also understand how to get rid of them. He'll understand philosophy, and that for his um, his position. Is particularly important because you'll also understand the basic philosophies of how to deal with society, how to help society build society, how to and as controversial as this may be, how to advise.
1: Yeah. Uh Kurin, thank you for the happy birthday message, Randy. Appreciate that.
0: Uh, yeah, that was super awesome. Thank you very much, Kura. Yeah, Good
1: so work. um, what happens at this point? So, this is a tinfoil hat theory, because the games don't address it, because there wasn't originally a plan to go from the one intro trailer to three, then back to one.
0: It does. Uh, yes, and
1: Aaron, we'll, we will get to that one in particular. We will be one getting that
0: we'll in particular, because that one's quite an important one, but yes, it absolutely does, and thanks very much for that, Aaron. You rock.
1: Oh my god, the advisor! He's here in chat!
0: Oh! oh he's lord. here! What is it that you have to say, the advisor? So, Ogres, oh, my lord! I'll let Andy read it. <laughs> These British nomads are as strong as they are stupid, but they do I wish I'd said it in the right accent now. But they do not underestimate them. Uh they are hardy warriors and will cannibalize any cold that they So
1: that's the me- whenever you're playing Warhammer 2 and mercenary ogre joke. show up, he reads he says that. Every
0: single time. I don't recall that which is actually it, hilarious. This is that whole thing every time. Yes, yeah, that, that whole no are as strong as they are stupid, but do not underestimate them
1: like that. Every single yes, time. Yes, every time, which is why it became such wow. a meme. Um, wow, so because it was it was one like one of the last updates to Warhammer 2, where the were the ogres,
0: but um so right. of um that'll be why I missed it because um, yeah. I played Warhammer 2 uh near its release and not a lot long after, actually. So
1: what likely happened uh, at this moment is that there's one other key thing about the Book of Fates that's revealed by the Advisor Warmer Warhammer 3, which is that if you are so uh, ill-advised haha, to open it and try to use it, you become bound to it. It is a curse. It is mm-hmm. very explicitly said a curse where it's not just that you can't use the book unless it's in the service of others, but you have to use the book. Or else, yeah. you're basically your soul's going to get devoured, um, and you're going to die horribly for eternity. Because the book has a guardian, and that is a demon, and that demon <laughs> is a demon known as Sartorial the Everwatcher, who we will come back to a little later because he's not super yeah. important right now.
0: Um, but it's fair to say that he is super something, and that's not just the demon; he's a big demon. Yeah, he's a um, huge demon. Um, yeah, with, and with a using the book. Yeah, the using the book is a contract. Um, And that contract requires that the advisor perform certain deeds. Yeah, so it could be said that, especially with his wisdom as
1: a light wizard and knowing how demons work, he does effectively strike a bargain with Sarthorial, which is that he says, okay, I am going to go out into the world and I'm going to do what the book tells me to do and you don't kill me. And I also get to use the book as best I can for my own means. And Sarthorial chuckles and goes, Go for it. Good luck. <laughs> because zinch demons. So yeah. that's what the advisor does. He goes out into the world, and for an unknown amount of time, he wanders around learning about other cultures, learning, uh, reading from the Book of Fates, and it whispering to him where he needs to go and stuff. And he mm-hmm. has to wait for the book to open. There are, he talks about in Warhammer 3 that there are times that the book seals itself and he yep. can't actually open it until a certain event happens. So there is an, a series of intro cinematics, which are awesome. Um, they're hard to find. They're on the Total War channel, but they're not easy to find that uh, were made as a, a prequels. They were hints for what was going to be coming in Warhammer 3. Yeah. And each of these um, these little movies, which are like 30 seconds, if that, are there's a random Empire town. It's not said which. It's implied to be Altdorf but there's a random empire town where there's this huge celestial orrery or whatever it's called that observes the stars. It's an orary. Yeah. And there is a very old, long white beard, little skull cap on his head, celestial wizard who peers into that. And he has a bunch of really snarky um, commentary, which I love. Uh, yeah, he too. keeps peering into this big old telescope, looking at the stars through a zeer because he's looking at what, where the stars are, Uh, what what constellations are appearing. And as you're watching through these cinematics, he begins to grow more and more panicked because there are constellations showing up that are not supposed to be in the sky right now, or they're showing up in places they're not supposed to be. And if you do a little careful math, it's revealed that he sees five constellations over the course of these five little cinematics. Each of the first four correspond to one of the great powers of chaos. So there's a constellation that represents corn, then zinc, then Nurgle, and then slanesh. And the first one he sees and he's like, oh, it's a little atypical for this one to be out this time of year, but I'm sure it's nothing. And then he sees the second one because like a colleague of his warned him about it. And he's like, oh, all right, that's a little alarming, but okay. And then by the time he sees the third and the fourth, he's like, holy shit, this is really bad. <laughs> like, oh my God, send out, gather the armies, tell everyone to get ready. Uh, but then the fifth one he sees is Urson the Bear, where he goes, okay, maybe maybe there's something about Kislev can help us avoid what is coming. But it's actually also a hint of what is going to be the main point of Warhammer 3, which is that it revolves around Urson. Because the last constellation he sees is the constellation that to the Kislevites is known as the Bear, which represents Urson. Um, but in each of those cinematics, if you look in the background, he has an attendant with him. And the attendant is holding a very particular book. And he's dressed in celestial wizard robes, but you can kind of just see his face under his cowl. And if you look carefully, it's the advisor.
0: I find this one super fascinating actually because um, as the advisor is depicted later and I was looking at the advisor quite a bit because from my last stream last Friday I dressed up as the advisor as I mentioned at the beginning of oh, this stream uh, Thank you Baron
1: <laughs> the The cinematics actually say it's in Altdorf so he's in Altdorf in the Celestial yeah, College
0: That's what I thought but I didn't want to say it just in case I was wrong because um, I can barely remember those cinematics I remember watching them though um, and <clears throat> he's often depicted wearing blue And that is obviously contrary to a light wizard who would normally be wearing white. But obviously he's now got access to a variety of extra, let's say, potential magics (laughs) because of the book that he's carrying. Uh, So he's no longer as um, tied to individual colored clothes. But if he was looking for... If he was looking to channel the light wind, he would wear white. And the fact that he's often wearing like a deep blue does speak to the possibilities of what has occurred during the time from leaving the Light College to arriving in the Celestial College and supporting the Celestial College, it does suggest that the book has provided them with access to celestial magic, if not more. And that is no great surprise, because if we are dealing with the Book of fates, the book of all the threads of the potential for the future, and also the past, the magic you'd expect to be most prevalent in there would be amethyst magic for the past and for the future, celestial magic so it's not a surprise. It works very well. I'd also like to just add a quick thanks there to Viper. Why can't there ever be a special book that sucks other things than souls? I don't know what you want from your book. What kind of, what kind of book are you talking about? I don't know what you want from super... your book. But I rarely think, oh, there's a book that I'd like to suck me in a way that doesn't involve souls. Um, I rarely think that, but I do love that one, Viper. Something, 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 slash collection at the bottom of the Light College something, something. Um, having said that i did have a campaign where a book was a bit weird that was a familiar but let's just not get there um so carrying on our cinematics over in altdorf has led us to well and what what i i will say what i love about that
1: is this also shows his first that we see canonically of him being an advisor but he's advising this celestial wizard as opposed uh, to some great legendary lord Which kind of implies that the book also, like between his own personal gift, which he's implied to be very gifted at Mm -hmm. negotiating with people, the book also likely tells him where to be and kind of what knowledge he needs to have to cement that relationship. But you could tell based on that, those cinematics, he probably snuck his way in as an acolyte to this celestial wizard. Or an advisor role of being like, I am also a Celestial Wizard. I may not be as powerful or as old and revered as you, but maybe I can help. And he was like, oh, yeah, sure. And he used this to get this information that he needs. And who knows? Maybe he was even influencing the Celestial Wizard to see what he saw, to drive certain events into motion.
0: I think that's quite likely. Um, Given the nature of what his character is going to be clarified as, he is someone who is there to... Loosely follow the book's will, which is to sow chaos. Um, And if he is there, it suggests he's not pursuing the knowledge that he has. He is attempting to manipulate that knowledge to cause others to do something. He is looking to seek change. And this is him ensuring that certain information is understood and that information is passed on so that people will react and will do something. And that at its very heart is at its source. Change, which is as we know, and given the book that he's carrying, the very purpose that he's pursuing,
1: yes. So, this leads into the intros of Warhammer Three, which is that the advisor is somewhere we don't know where, but the book has been sealed to him for some time after he left the Celestial College and he's been waiting for it to reopen. And it does all of
0: his little locking mechanisms activate. Uh, Ricky Scotty, thanks for being here. Thank you. Delighted you make it. And um just gonna say thanks very much for that, Ricky. Delighted you made it. Happy birthday to me. And also <laughs> Beck, really? Oh, that's so nice. Thank you very much for the super chat there. I've watched some of the of uh, some of almost every Lord Beard stream since Andy joined. And what better day to actually give something back than his effing birthday? It is indeed my effing birthday, but me being me Scottish as I am, I shall clarify that with. For those of you that don't understand how effing is used in the Warhammer world, it's quite clearly fucking. I uh, can't <laughs> wait to see your guilt campaign. You'll be lucky, although having said that, yeah, I'll probably do it. Andy, that know. has to be
1: the nerdiest thing you've ever said because it's all that's it means fucking in our world too, not just the Warhammer world I mean, obviously,
0: I was kind of taking the piss
1: <laughs> Did you know in the Warhammer world it
0: means literally. Yeah, <laughs> not a I word we use in our world. <laughs> literally taking the piss there <laughs> Effing? What does effing mean? Well, let me explain. That's Much funny. like the winds of magic <laughs> God, Anyways, oh, go. God! i need oh, you,
1: i need like a comedy skit of a wizard explaining stupidly simple concepts but only through <laughs> the measure of the winds of magic to make it really complicated dad yeah, where do babies fun. come from well you <laughs> see <laughs> <laughs> winds of magic
0: explain yeah, uh, yeah right. that would be fun
1: yeah anyway so what happens at this point is that the book opens for the advisor. Now, what's interesting is the advisor is actually a bit perplexed by this particular one.
0: I'm oh, going hi, to interrupt and say, Hey, Josie, glad yeah. that you're out there watching. Chat Watch your to father Josie. gently get hi. Hi, hi, and that's the wrong word in terms you, you have Drunk.
1: used Pepsi Max.
0: <laughs> yes, okay, <laughs> with alcohol, it's close um enjoy the stream joe delighted that you're out there that's uh my daughter for those of you who don't know out there chat say hi um indeed. so chat say hi to josie uh what because she rocks the Tome of fates opens and it tells the
1: advisor he needs to go north really really far north so he ventures up to kislev he goes beyond kislev into the chaos waste old kislevite territory and he wanders mm. and wanders and wanders until he arrives at the citadel of oh god i can't remember what it's called what was it um, called it's the, see uh, it in my mind's
0: eye yeah it's got all the horns it's got all the horns
1: in it um and it like it bellows really loud it really um, does but it the doesn't matter he arrives at this big citadel and it is revealed yes the howling fortress thank you the howling
0: fortress thanks um, very much servant yes the, the howling that. fortress right, for is super appreciated
1: yeah, it's like somewhere in the ballpark of like where the Chaos Waste and the realms of Chaos are like super close together. Um, so the Howling Citadel, Highland Fortress, whatever it is. <laughs> Why did Andy go to jail? He was breaking the law. Breaking the law, breaking the law. Yeah, no, I wasn't. I am the law. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. How can he break what he is? <laughs> He's a mere manifestation of lawlessness. I mean, law- really? Law- law-
0: Hey, Esteen. Happy birthday, Andy. Thank you very much. So Tekken 2017 first brought me a love of Warhammer lore. I'm delighted to hear that. He is marvellous that way, is he not? Yesterday, I ran Seven Peeps First Adventure in Reich. Oh, thanks for You're this welcome. world. Whenever I hear that, it just fills my heart with a certain happiness because the starter set that we built for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay was designed for people who had not necessarily ever played Warhammer before. And the setting was chosen because of Vermintide. And so many people have been playing Vermintide and they understood what uh, Uber's Reich was. It's a so great just to, starter
1: set. Like, just is. to
0: hear that someone's doing that is great. But um, I will say for those of you out there who are thinking, I like Warhammer lore. Is there anything in that? It has an entire book, which is basically just lore for the setting and all the surrounding areas. So, if you like your lore, the starter set does make a very good beginning for all. I don't get any money for it at all. Um, I do recommend which it, which is criminal. This.
1: But uh, if, yeah, Excuse it's.
0: Saying, Hi, Josie.
1: Not only is the lore great, but you get lore on the Bog
0: King. Thanks, you want
1: you me. want to know who the Bog King is? Oh, the Bog
0: King. Oh, we don't uh, want to talk about it today. When another Andy and I, that's Andy Leesk, who was on a previous um, uh, Lower Beards episode, go watch it with Andy Leesk. When Andy Leisk and I sat down and figured out the Bog King, it was a good day. That is all I'm saying. It'll make you afraid of toilets
1: and Uber right? It's great. We did
0: intend <laughs> to build the Bog Emperor into Altdorf, but sadly I had moved on from the job by that time.
1: <laughs> so anyway, uh, at the Howling Fortress, the advisor, or Dodgy Johan, as he's sometimes referred to, uh, that's not
0: his actual name, but he's, he's referred Ed! to Ed! Just got Hi, Ed. a quick call out to Ed there. Ed, oh, please, Star- go heart in my screen. It's Ed, Ed. Hey, Ed. How you doing out there? Hope it's all going well. Hey, there might be spoilers in here. You get out of here. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, spoilers of a type. You, we all know that my game takes liberties. That's true. Uh, uh,
1: so in any event, at the Howling Citadel or the Howling Fortress, the advisor comes across a big old battle that's over. There's just tons of dead people. And he's looking around going, what the hell happened here? And why am I here? And the Tome of Fates opens. And this is really interesting. He demonstrates the ability to use Amethyst magic because he talks to the spirits of the dead, which makes sense. Like, I mean, he's influenced by Zinch. The idea that he could, the Tome of Fates has access to past and future type magic with Azir and Amethyst makes a ton of sense. You, I mean, you might be able to argue that the... And we'll actually explore later, he demonstrates more different kinds of winds of magic in other he campaigns. That. So it's, I mean, Xenchi and stuff, not that crazy that he would be able to at least moderately control winds of all eight, uh, as opposed to just any several few. But here he uses some amethyst magic and he talks to the spirits of the dead with the help of the book. And he asks them, what the hell happened here? And they tell him that there was a great awful battle and that somebody... Uh, a character who you will know if you play the if you play the narrative tutorial campaign for Warhammer Three found a way into the realm of chaos and was manipulated by Bellicor, oh, and it sets
0: oh the first rises again
1: yeah and it sets into motion an event that leads to the quote unquote death of Urson. Now he's not dead yet but he has been deeply
0: wounded. A god... Let me just cut in at this point, because many of you may be going the death of... What the fuck now? Uh, The death of Urson. Urson is the bear god of Kislev. And a god that had, at the point of Total War's beginning largely been sort of subsumed into a host of other cults and not as worshipped as he once was. Um, He had, had a rise with Boris Erson who we will be discussing in a moment but he is a god of bears Um, and that's probably enough for you to get going with it.
1: Yeah, and what's nice about Total War is that they make him strong. Like he is a beefy god. He's not a little god. He's a one of the big ones. And uh, to super fast summarize it ready for Bellicor to fail Ha! <laughs> funny <laughs> you mentioned that
0: um- <laughs> I mean yeah
1: <laughs> um, it's revealed in War- once again I've given you your spoiler warning so don't blame me if you're mad at what's about to come out if you worship Urson you just have to oh, bear. Oh,
0: holy <laughs> artist <laughs> I would like to say you have given Hammond a run for his money
1: watch out Hammond's going to show up uh, at your window at night <laughs>
0: I Thank you very much for the birthday <laughs> message. Andy won, you fought the law. And Andy won. Good uh, so uh
1: what's revealed over the course of Warhammer 3 is that uh which there's some fun little threads tying this together, which is that during a Kislevite summer, before and this is Keely right before. Uh, it's like right around or before, like the timeline doesn't really make sense if you look at it much, but somewhere in the ballpark of when Karl Franz becomes elected emperor,
0: which means Zarina Catarin shouldn't have been Zarina yet, but eh, whatever. Nope. Um, Yeah, just, just so we're aware uh, of our approximate dates, that's 2502. Zarina does not become uh, the. Uh, it's for over what about 12, 13, 14 15, yeah like another at least another 10 years yeah um, it's quite some time before she actually becomes the empress over in Kislev but well, we're not going to worry about but that Total War takes very we've discussed this before it takes liberties with the timelines and that's fine because for the game that it's presenting that makes sense now if you're playing say for example Warhammer <laughs> Fantasy Roleplay to play, be fair Workshop can't... takes
1: liberty with the timelines yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> Games workshop just the same thing, so it's not exactly a surprise. But if you're playing the say the fantasy roleplay game and you want it all to make sense, you kind of can, but it takes a little bit of work. And if we want to discuss it, go jump into one of the Discord channels, either over with the uh, Lore Master Sotek or over at my Lore Beard channel over on my Lowhammer side, and we can pick it up ways that you can make it all make sense, but not really for this. Yeah, you can
1: easily shift things around. It's it's not hard oh, yeah. to change things.
0: It's super super easy, but not really for the stream.
1: Hey Aaron, thank you very much would urson qualify as a god beast from age of sigmar mm. uh maybe i don't think so i think he would classify as a god god not a god beast but he would be in the same level of power as a god beast at least um but yeah yeah he'd probably be a god beast to be honest but god beasts are like the big ones like Sotek could debatably be considered a god beast some of the god yeah. beasts are fucking insanely big and powerful like they make but, they make the actual gods of aos look like chumps
0: so thank you aaron um, the answer is, maybe. You missed Godzilla's. <laughs> but did I miss Godzilla's there? Oh, you're right, I did there. Happy birthday, Andy. Thank you very much, Godzilla. We need a free-for-all between all the Andes that worked on Warhammer to see who is the best Andy. I mean, do we really need one, or do we just know? I
1: don't understand. Why didn't the biggest Andy simply eat the smaller Andes? <laughs> comprise into the ultimate Andy?
0: <laughs> we could be the voltron of andy <laughs> that would be awesome i want to be pink um uh, pink andy pink ranger pink ranger andy <laughs> yeah sure let's be that
1: no, we'll make it all the pink power <laughs> <laughs> so anyway uh so it's revealed that during one of the summers when urson is uh slumbering because urson goes into hibernate he roars to according to total war he roars to set into event the motions that the Kisselvite gods go through to end winter. So he roars, which causes Dawes and Tor to do stuff, and Saliak and all the Kisselvite gods do their little thing. Kisselvite winter ends, and then spring begins, and Urson hibernates because he's a bear. He's a bear god, so he goes into hibernation. It's revealed that during one of these hibernations, Bellacor, because um, Boris Ursus is dead and there is shenanigans, Bellacor manages to figure out where Urson is hibernating. And he influences agents who go capture Urson, and Bellicor is able to capture Urson in a prison of shadows that Urson cannot break out of.
0: Yep. And hey, Bellicor.
1: Yeah. Granted, Bellicor cannot hurt him. That is one thing that's really interesting. Is Bellicor can't actually hurt him. He's only able to trap him.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think that um it's worth noting that this is being somewhat of a theme for many of the old Kislevite legends take for example Arianka who was trapped in a crystal coffin um, that's not for this stream but that's another goddess who was known for her illumination and light and a variety of other things from the past um, but it does speak a lot to the Shadow Lord, bellacord how he does stuff.
1: Andes a simple
0: <laughs> <clears throat> I don't even know how many Andes that would be, it'd be a lot of Andes <laughs> That actually would be a lot of Andys. We should maybe see if we can get a stream to see if we can get at least three or four Andys in one the streams. That would be, that would be amazing. That'd be fun. Though... Um, I mean, uh, I mean, we know between us at least five of them. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <a lot> of <laughs> one andies. of them's in my game because um, my game Lohammer obviously has three writers for the fantasy roleplay game actually playing in it, and yes, that includes another Andy other than me, and also Andy Goldtooth, over tyrant of Lore Kingdoms. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. <laughs> Did I miss the biofoot one there? Uh, oh, no, the Holy that's the one we got one. already. The Holy we already one. Got one.
1: Oh, and Holy Artist. There what do you we... call a group of large Andes the Andes Mountains? <laughs> Are you a mountain, Andy?
0: <laughs> Sometimes I feel like a mountain. I am Large and movable. <laughs> badly stacking on the beef just now
1: <laughs> yes anyway so uh urson is captured and bellicor i'm gonna ha- hardcore summarize it i would heavily advise playing through the prologue because it's actually a really fun story but Bellacore basically uh because urson is captured that whole event that it signals the end of kislevite winter doesn't happen so kislevite gets stuck in a perpetual winter that lasts for years yeah. um So, we don't know how many years, but long enough that Kislev is really suffering. And the Kislev people start to really, really struggle. And there are people saying, oh, Urson has abandoned us or Urson is dead, whatever. People start getting mad. So, this one character goes north and he ends up, he was like a very devout Ursonite. Because of Belacore's manipulations, he ends up finding Urson. But Belacore kind of convinces him that Urson is weak and undeserving of his worship and that the gods themselves are weak and that people should rise above them that the gods will betray us all they use us yada yada it's actually a really good speech by bellicor i love the way they do it um but uh the character ends up turning against urson so he renounces his faith and he shoots urson in the chest with a bullet but it's not the bullet that wounds urson it's the it's the twisting of faith which is actually a really interesting way to hurt a god um and urson mortally wounded roars in agony. And this roar causes a big old fuck you shockwave that cuts off everyone from the realm of chaos. It literally separates the realm of chaos from the mortal existence with kind of like a storm is the best way to think of it to the point that demons can't cross it at all, which is pretty fascinating because it's kind of like Urson's agony is almost like a barrier between realities. Trouble might be brewing (laughs) Jesus, Hammond. Um, Hammond, so, your
0: background form. Well yes, gone. they call it the
1: maelstrom. Yeah, the maelstrom, um, which is a word that's used too much in Warhammer meaning mean too many
0: different things. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> they need um, to use but, different
1: words. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, hmm. so that sets up the events of Warhammer 3, which is key. That is what sets everything into motion and wakes the Tome of Fates up. And like all the best liars, Bellicor told the truth. You're not wrong.
0: Yeah. And I think that actually speaks a lot to Bellacor and the character as a whole and how that character manifests himself. I suggest going back to our previous stream regarding Bellicor, uh to the more, time more about the character. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It was the more time episode, wasn't it? Have yep. we not done Bellicor as a whole No, we, we haven't. Really more time? We talked a lot Holy about it. Holy crap. Him. Ball. We have, haven't we? I was so convinced that we'd actually done one, but we haven't, have we? No. Um, I adore Bellacor as a character, and I'm half tempted to say, for my next birthday, if we haven't done it before, we do it then, because I yeah. love I mean, Belicor. he is the most
1: important character in the setting, I genuinely. <laughs>
0: like- genuinely, he is so important, and so few people realize how important he is. And I'll just, because it is often touted that he is a failure, I will add one thing. If you only judge someone by the end result, then yeah, he kind of is but he has so many successes that lead up to each time he's defeated. But it's the point when he's defeated that everyone judges him by. He is often successful for, in some cases, thousands of years in a row. So do be aware, Bellicor is quite the successful character for all. We focus on his defeats because that's when the heroes come along and we get our novels or we get the the events.
1: In the grand scheme of things, he's successful like 90% of the time. It's just at the very last second that when he would ascend to godhood, he finally gets defeated. But like he succeeds in everything all, else that he
0: does. All four chaos powers work against him, but this is quite the uh anyway, tangent. So yeah, moving back, back to the advisor. Back
1: so, the advisor learns ah, hi Stolo. Thank you for that. Uh, the advisor okay. learns all of this information from the souls thanks to the tome of fate. And the tome of fate tells him, Okay, uh Belakor has trapped Urson. It's time to move. Now, what's interesting about the advisor is he doesn't... He's not just a puppet. He Mm. gets an idea because he realizes that, oh, there's a god trapped that's bleeding. And using all of his knowledge as a light wizard and everything the Tome of Fates has taught him, he gets the idea that if I could just get a single drop of Urson's blood, that god is so powerful, I could use that drop of his blood to break the curse the Tome of Fate is put on me. So then I could use it as I will instead of only in the service of others. I would no longer be just the advisor.
0: And I think this is arguably one of the most important aspects of his character being manifested here in that he is not somebody who is controlled. He is not someone who is possessed and driven in a particular direction. He is someone who has made, whether for good or ill, some form of deal. As we'll move on to as we hit the end and how potentially his story comes to a conclusion, you will hear him scream out what he had done. And he had done everything that was correct on his side of that bargain. But it's important to note he has free will. And his free will leads him to not service in the power of the book, but to try and break free from the book. To use that book towards ends that he thinks are appropriate and worthwhile. Initially, he was a wizard of the Colleges of Magic and he was looking to do something that would help defend the Empire and arguably the world as a whole. But the character that ends up expressing is someone that is kind of stuck with this book, must respond according to the dictates and dictates of this book. But he is, at this point, looking for ways to free himself completely from it, looking for ways to become independent and to effectively use this book for let's call it good, although that is a deeply subjective term.
1: Yeah, and what's one of the things I love is he never explicitly states what he intends to do with the book once he's free of its curse. Like, we don't know if he's still like, oh, I'm going to save the world or if he's like, no, I'm going to become a warlord. I'm going to become a god. Like, we have no
0: idea what his ambitions are. Um, But it's fair to say that his ambitions are almost certainly clear within his own mind. And I know that that's not much of a thing to say, but this is a man who had clear ambitions at the beginning, fell because of what the book did to him, but didn't lose his mind. And this is something that often happens to those that fall to chaos. They start to lose their mind. If you go back to the original Realms of Chaos version, we're talking Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 1st Edition, Warhammer Fantasy Battle 3rd Edition. Many of their champions lost their memories so that they were no longer tied to that which they came from. And their memories were replaced with whatever (coughs) it was for the chaos power at hand. But this is someone who has all of his mind, has all of his training as a light wizard, is capable of using that to get into new positions, but also is, as has been noted by the fact that he is an advisor as we move into the first game, which we're not quite at yet, um, someone who is capable of using a variety of powers to get the best position of influence. He is someone who is cognizant of who he is and is looking for ways out. I'd just like to quickly pop up the Viper one. So get a god-tier bear trap and snap him every now and then. And I just solved this diamonds problem.
1: Uh, yeah, let us know where you find that. <laughs> that god-tier
0: bear trap of yours. <laughs> we all have one of those just sitting in our cupboard, yeah, so it'll be yeah, fine. It's in my shed. I again to one. I can I say thanks for both of those. It's super appreciated. Happy birthday to me. You are the best. Apparently, Damon translates to Diamond <laughs> solved his demon hey, problem. Yeah, diamonds right. are a girl's best friend.
1: It it, it, diamonds
0: it, it are translate, forever. translate
1: that word there, and you got the Warhammer version. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um at this point, this is where the advisor begins Total War Warhammer 3, and the book sets yeah. him on one of several paths. Now, what's interesting. Is it's, of course, implied that whatever character you play, the advisor goes to that character and there are some beautifully crafted intro cinematics of him going to each of the factions and negotiating with them, which is great. Because the thing that's fascinating is that sometimes the faction has heard of him and have summoned him, but in Warhammer 3, virtually all of them, he approaches them and they have no idea who he is. So we get to actually see him convincing them to allow him to join. Which does not go super well for him in a lot of these starting... Like, he nearly dies in
0: almost every single one of these scenarios. But (laughs) I think it's super fascinating to note that he doesn't. Yeah. And that speaks volumes and I think speaks volumes not just for the type of man that he is, but for the very volume that he carries. This Book of Fate has enacted change within him. He has become, quite clearly by this point, someone who has access to multiple winds of magic. He is someone who realizes there are certain directions he must go in, according to what the Book of Fates demands. And it also clearly grants him with the correct things to say. How can he get into a place and speak to ogres, orcs, Cathayans, all manner of factions, and they'll still listen. And one of the reasons that he can do this is because he has the answers already to hand. The correct path through fate to hopefully get the answer that he needs. But beyond that, he's also a wizard. He has a host of tools at his uh, fingertips that he can use to hopefully get to where he needs to go.
1: Yeah, and although the games make it simple by translating everything, you also have to keep in mind that he's literally speaking their languages, which is yeah. super fucking impressive. Like, he's speaking Cathayan. He's speaking Demonic. He's speaking the Ogre Tongue. Like, he's talking to them in all of their native languages, which is very impressive. Um, now, yeah, whether it's, that's a it, book doing it's not just, or
0: impressive, just it's it's, ex- it's extraordinary. And this is not just simply, he's a light wizard, so he knows stuff. Light wizards do know stuff, and light wizards almost certainly do study things like language demonic or the language of the elves. But studying is not the same as understanding, is not the same as becoming fluent, is not the same as being able to influence another party. He is quite simply beyond his initial roots, his wandering around the old world and much beyond the entire Warhammer world has not just exposed him to all of these cultures, the book that he carries has allowed him to be understood by all of these cultures. Now, could you argue that he's using some form of spell to communicate with all these people, or the book itself is somehow like the TARDIS in Doctor Who, providing him with a translation matrix so that everyone can understand him, probably with an English accent because, hey, creative assemblies in England? Then, yes, very possibly. That would be one way of viewing it regardless of what route has been taken the advisor can communicate with everyone and with a bit of pressure with a bit of careful choices by saying the right words can fall in behind everyone and be and this is the big one kind of trusted yeah well especially like the
1: book goes even further because it's not only does he speak their language he understands their culture like he understands how to talk to them What's the appropriate body language? What's the appropriate thing to say? How to stand? Should he act afraid of them? Should he act pious towards them? He plays his cards extremely well. How many different languages and dialects are in the world of Warhammer? So many. So many. So many.
0: Holy artist, this is a really good question. I think it's actually a stream for the future. And that's language in the Warhammer world. Language in the Warhammer world does have a root. And that root cause right at the very beginning, the word, so to speak, um, is something that exists within the Warhammer world and all languages have come out from it. Um, Consider it a little bit like the Indo-European for all of the languages in what we often dub as the West. Um, Indo-European goes a little bit further than just that. But there is a root language to everything in Warhammer. And it's not just simply speaking plot armour. Um, the advisor can speak their language and be understood, yeah. Though, hilariously, it still almost gets him killed. Um,
1: uh, <laughs> almost every frequently.
0: circumstance, yeah. So, wait, wait.
1: now, but he there's... doesn't
0: die. That's the big yeah. bit, though. The oh, yeah, he, al- he always through gets fate. through, he yeah. always gets through, which is the good bit. Just before you go your next bit, hey, Aaron Rodgers, it's like the Tome of Fates has turned him into a literal, <laughs> well, yeah, into literal, turn change literal change itself. You're not, yeah, wrong. it really has. Off. So, yeah, you're not wrong. Um,
1: what's What's interesting is that there are two ways to look at what happens next, which is whether you believe the advisor is significantly more powerful or a little more on the mortal side. If you lean more towards the mortal side, then he goes to one faction. He has his intro cinematic based on who you, the player are, and he just places that storyline. However, it is very realistically possible that all of them actually happen. that he goes to every faction. And he convinces all of them to get involved in the plot and that every cinematic happens in the same timeline.
0: I think this is um, one of the most fun aspects of the advisor as a whole. And that's that he is much like video games themselves, multi-threaded. He may not just be one individual anymore. He may be the book of fate made manifest. Many different paths, which allows you to have multiple different versions of him doing multiple different things. And that is absolutely within the remit of the Warhammer World and what it offers. It doesn't necessarily mean that's the case because it could be equally interpreted, interpreted, pardon me, as if you were running it for your own Warhammer World, say in Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, there's just one of them doing one thing, heading towards ultimately whatever the fate that is required by the book itself. But if you wish to run it as a multi-versioned example of him, you absolutely could. Yep, Godzilla, if it weren't for the fact he's offering them
1: a god as a reward, some of the characters would have slaughtered him like Scarbrain was two seconds away from killing him and taking his skull. Yes, but the book of Fates would not have sent him there if he had not had the bargaining chip in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Even with that, if he had not said it in the right way, it would not have gone over well where like Scarbrand just offering the body of a God would not have got Scarbrand's attention. It was phrasing it very specifically in what is my skull compared to the skull of a God. And if, if you allow me to assist you, I can get you the skull of a God like getting Scarbrand who is the literal embodiment of rage to not only listen, but to go, Hmm. All right. All right. To a wizard is intense.
0: It's extraordinary, in fact. And I think that speaks to the power of the book that he's carrying. And I'm actually going to bring that comment up again, just so that we can take a look at it. And I'm going to contradict it slightly. If it wasn't for the fact that he was offering them a god as a reward, some of the characters would have slaughtered them. And that's what it looks like. Like Scarbrand was two seconds away from killing him and taking his skull. No, he wasn't. That is an easy interpretation of it. But he was already armed with all of the correct information. He had a path charted out for him by what he had already discovered in this book. He knew what the outcome was going to be before he was even there. It's one of the reasons why when he arrives, he is not cowering in anything. He's the opposite. Often he comes across as arrogant is too strong, but certainly certain.
1: To, to be fair, in, this, in the Scarbrand cinematic specifically, he does seem like he's about to shit himself.
0: <laughs> like he does seem kind of terrified. Because not all that's needed, to but he get could the just be playing the role. That, that could exactly. be the thing. He's playing um, the role. He he is ultimately everything that is required to be the perfect advisor, and I think that's worth um, mentioning. Hey, Marco, thanks very much. Very generous. Thank you. Thank you. You <laughs> rock. Happy birthday, it's, it's almost like it's my birthday. Yay! Uh, thanks a lot. To both of you for the free content you make constantly. Yes, we do. Also, I just want to say that I cannot decide who is more awesome Andy in his Pac Man sweater. Indeed, Pac Man. Can't go wrong with that. <laughs> I off. am a gamer at heart. Or Sotec hugging the sword like <laughs> a <can> newly <laughs> sponsored
1: sword. And he said we had to do something fun for this stream. So I brought my losing sword out because that hat is uncomfortable to wear. <laughs>
0: yeah, quite. But, um, uh, and I've got my purple hat. Yeah, you, so I'm you happy. got
1: your purple crown. But uh, so. Um, we're gonna go ahead and go with the easier theory, which is that he goes to one faction, yeah. And much it's revealed as early as the Warhammer 3 trailer who he goes to see, which is that he goes to see Katarin because yep. Katarin, uh, the Tome of Fates tells him, is the correct. You could argue that it's the correct. Has he been to the Did he do anything? If the ever got added to the game, probably,
0: yes, and yes. Um, but the answer is currently no, but the answer is yes, and yes. Yeah,
1: it te- if you ask any question, does Nippon do X, we would technically have to say, oh, but no. <laughs> yeah, because it hasn't been explored in forever. But there is no way he would not have gone there if they're going to be relevant to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, So anyway, so whether you believe he goes to every faction to convince them to get involved in the war, uh to manipulate them into the proper place, or whether you believe he just goes straight to Gaterin either way in the warhammer 3 trailer we see that uh there's been actually a pretty notable change to the timeline which is that katarin is much older when her father dies like she literally gets a letter from him writing about that he's going to fight up at the river to fight a big chaos horde and it's implied that the second he kind of sees how big the chaos horde is he realizes he is going to die um but he's gonna fight anyway because he's fucking boris ursus and he's like I- whatever <laughs> <laughs> and so he fights he dies and he falls into the river and gets frozen into a popsicle um and the <laughs> the, the spirit the the land of kislev preserves him in that popsicle form until he later breaks out but yeah. uh good old in any, boris. yeah good old boris but um what's interesting is that we see the advisor when he shows up to advise Katarin after she learns about the death of her father who who knows maybe the advisor is the one that brought the letter from Boris because maybe he was advising Boris into that position and got Boris killed. Who could say? Um, but uh he shows up in her tent after she leaves to go fight the Cornate horde, and you see him shuffle aside the papers to look at Grand Cathay and everything, and he smiles at the camera. Um, which kind of implies that he could see through the camera, <laughs> but I digress. Um, what's interesting is that this sets into motion the events of Warhammer 3, which does have a canonical end revealed by the champions of chaos DLC which is that Katarin wins, um, which is also why she is the only character who in the outro cinematic is, her cinematic is unique because she actually shows up in it. Um, so she fights, they do the whole Realm of Chaos thing. He tells her, okay, the Tome of Fates, he reveals another unique power it has, which the Tome of Fates can open portals into certain places of the Realm of Chaos. Yep. yep. Uh, and furthermore, if a demon prince is killed, The Tome of Fates, with the advisor using its magic, can trap the souls of demon princes inside of its pages, which is really scary.
0: It's super cool. That's what it is. Um, A really nice development for the artifact that has been presented so far, and it shows that it has potentially extraordinary power beyond just simply a, a useful repository of knowledge of what was in the past what is now and what is to come but something that could be it's almost like that which is inside the book and we kind of know what it is allows other things to potentially also be in there maybe it is literally a trap for things that are effectively greater demons are demon princes are equivalent it's one enormous trap, and possibly if you're looking to try and rewrite it into something interesting for your own campaigns, you could say that if it replaced what was currently inside it, a completely different book would result. No, anyway.
1: oh, oh, I've got a thing for you in a minute you're going to love. Um, oh, uh, KvJ, Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I don't know if we're going to accept Kugath's gifts. We appreciate it. We're probably going to send those <laughs> back, but thank you. I mean, um, thanks very much, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we're, we're good we're full thank you um so in any event um now uh, i personally like to, i see some people commenting about it in the various chats i personally do believe the advisor went to every faction because it would explain how all the factions are getting into the realms of chaos how each of them seem to be fighting for the same thing um which is that they're all fighting to get to urson first before Bellicor can complete his ritual to devour urson's power for himself becoming the God of shadows and being really fucking scary. Um, So what's interesting though, is we get another, we actually get to see, a lot of people don't realize this, but uh, when you play the campaigns and you do the demon prince thing, the Tome of Fates has a really cool thing. Wherever it absorbs the power of a demon prince, it resonates with power and it allows the advisor to see into the past or the present. So the past, the first soul you absorb allows you to see the fall of Belichor. So it takes you back to the Great Cataclysm. It shows you the Great Cataclysm, which is a fantastic cutscene. And it also shows... I haven't
0: seen that one. That's what I need to
1: oh, see. Oh, it's awesome. Like, you get to see, like, the portals blow up. You get to see the High Elves on Othwan fighting the right. demons.
0: Uh, <laughs> Just taking a note here at this side, go find that one before I yeah. play the game.
1: And it also reveals Belicor, uh leading the armies of demons and building up an empire. But it also shows Bellicor hilariously... One of my favorite scenes is Belichor getting smited by the dark gods because it's so funny. It's very dramatic, but it's it's literally just him being like, give me more! And then they literally just smite him on his
0: tower, and it's so funny. He just gets blown up. (laughs) Hey, Jen. Do you remember your reaction to learning Boris was in the game when you saw the advisor talk to him? I would have loved to see that. I freaked the fuck out, personally. I was so excited to see Boris.
1: It's always nice to see those little extra goodies. Especially Um, because Boris... Boris had some of the best dialogue with the advisor because very uniquely, he knew what the advisor was immediately.
0: Hmm. Good old blessed Boris. Yeah,
1: because he's blessed. Like, Urson was literally whispering in his head (laughs) about what he was dealing with.
0: Hey, OmniSide101. Happy birthday, Andy. And thank you in return. Enormously appreciated. Yeah, but anyway, so uh, the advisor helps Katerin.
1: And like Andy said, if you play through campaigns, it's super fun to watch how he kind of manipulates the characters. And at the start of the campaign, all of them kind of don't like him that much. They don't trust him very much. But by the end, they explicitly trust him because he has been a genuinely good advisor the entire time. Um, as you get more Demon Prince Souls, you get more cinematics. Uh, most of the ones after the first one are showing Bellacor talking to Urson. And you're also getting to see that Bellacor is getting closer and closer to his goal. And Urson is getting closer and closer to dying. Um, eventually, you break into the realm of chaos. You fight Bellacor uh, with the advisor by your side. Because uh, the advisor, the book, uses, once you have all four of the demon princes I actually love this bit of lore writing. It's revealed that because the demon princes were once mortal, unlike regular demons, they have genuine souls. Just little pieces left of who they actually were. And by getting one from each god, so one demon prince from each of the major four powers, the toma Fates uses that bit of their mortality and the fact that all four demons are from the various four powers, it releases them so their souls go back to the Forge of Souls where Bellicor is hiding, which is a neutral territory. The gods cannot go there. Um, it is neutral ground in the, the realms of chaos. <laughs> So,
0: I, I'd like to just quickly interrupt and say this is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this stream. You may notice that the lore master of Sotek is saying significantly more than I am for this one. That's because <laughs> much of the lore for, uh, let's just say the Total War gamut of games is currently beyond my awareness. I haven't played, I certainly haven't played the third game, barely at all. Um, so, one of the reasons I wanted this for my birthday stream was because, there's all sorts of shit I'd like to know because I'm using this character and I would like to use these extra bits. This, for example, is something I simply didn't know. And I like that. So I'm going to lean back and put on my hmm. Yeah, well, again. well there, there are some things we're going to get your opinions on in a second hmm. because they're really interesting.
1: So what the Tome of Fates does, and I thought this writing was super fun, is that it basically kind of puts a tracer on these four demon souls and it uses their mortality to create a bridge. So it it opens a bridge that allows mortals to follow these demon prince souls back to the forge of souls, which prior to that, nobody could get to because no God is allowed to have dominion there. It is along with the, I forget what it's called, but like the big court where the dark gods like meet, uh, occasionally it is one of only two spaces that we explicitly know of in the realms of chaos that are neutral territory. Which is why Bellacore was able to take it over because he's a conniving little shit. Oh, that's pretty much Bellacore for you. And again, hmm. Yeah. And so you break into the Forge of Souls. You have your big final battle against Bellacore, who is literally sitting on a super badass throne that looks like it was ripped straight off Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood with Father, where it's pumping Urson's God blood into Ur- uh, Bellacore's body. And he gets up, you fight him, and you defeat him. And Bellacore curses you and is super angry as he gets banished back into shadow. And the Dark Gods laugh at him. Because. Oh. Typical Bellacor. But depending on who you're playing, then you get to Urson's body. But in the canonical version, Catarin makes her way to Urson, who has died right before you get there. And it's super sad. But when Catarin gets to him, her faith is able to reignite just that tiny little spark that he needed to come back to life. And Urson starts breathing again. He comes back. You break him out of the Forge of Souls. And Urson roars once again, but this time his normal roar. And the eternal winter Kislev has been suffering under ends. And Kislev is finally able to start recovering from the horrible winter and wars that they've been dealing with. And the advisor gets his one drop of God blood. And he uses it to break the curse on the Tome of Fates. Now, here is something really interesting I want to talk about that a lot of people I don't think catch with the Tome of Fates. You'll notice that we talked about in the Warhammer 1 trailer. Sartorial, the Everwatcher, is bound to the book. He's stuck in it. Yep. He doesn't show up until after the advisor opens it, reads it, touches it, tries to yep. use it, and he gets the curse. Which Im- and then he's gone. Like Sarthorial doesn't show up again until what I'm about to talk about, right, which implies yes that Sartorial cannot leave the book. Yep. He's stuck in it until until a certain somebody <laughs> fucks up. Because when the advisor breaks the curse, he does it because he thinks that he's going to be free of the Tome of Fate so he can use it however he wishes in whatever way he wishes. But something else happens the moment he breaks that curse, which is that a white raven appears who has not been there the entire time. The advisor has no idea who the raven is. He just, he literally says, oh, I have a white raven following me. That's interesting. But he doesn't realize what it is because he broke the curse on the book he frees sarthorial the everwatcher with that drop of god blood cuz he got manipulated like a chump cuz zinch is but that's a what zinch does bitch yeah that's what zinch does and then we get the epilogue regardless of which campaign you play because all the campaigns have the same epilogue which are about the advisor and what's revealed is that when the advisor breaks the curse on the Toma Fates, he goes, oh, thank God, I'm finally free of this. I could go do whatever I want. Huh, who's this weird bird? That's kind of weird. And as he's venturing, believing he's about to go off and do whatever he wants, suddenly the bird starts to talk. And he goes, oh, shit. And he begins to age. And his vision clouds and he goes blind. And his body becomes more rapidly decrepit. He becomes this haggard old figure because he's being kind of punished for his hubris. And the bird says, you're free of the curse of fate, the Tome of Fates. Now you suffer me. And the advisor becomes bound to Sarthoriel the Everwatcher. Yep. And realizes that he now has a different curse and A much worse one because now he's literally being followed around, and this leads into the events of Warhammer One, which is that regardless of which campaign you pick, the advisor goes to the various Warhammer One factions, or in my case, I believe he probably visits all of them. And in every cinematic, there's that white raven, and it comes down, lands on his stick, and caws in his ears a few times, and he listens and he nods, and then he goes to talk to whoever the legendary lord is. Yes, my lord yep yeah. yeah. and this and the advisor we see in warhammer one is very different than the advisor in warhammer three yeah. he is he is much more frail uh he's much older and kind of nastier looking but he carries himself with much more i almost want to say he's darker in a sense like he's not as um mm, emotionally present as he seems in warhammer three where in warhammer three like he seems more like an actual person who's not kind of
0: i guess humbled yeah um i I agree that now the the version of the advisor that you see in Warhammer one i know pretty well um and it would be very easy to say, well, isn't that just simply because it was their first game and they were pinning down what they were going to do with this character? And the answer is yes. Well,
1: yeah, Albert.
0: Put... <laughs> but but um, retrospectively, allowing the background to explain all of that really does pin down what the advisor is slowly becoming. And that is a vessel um, that for the very demon that it, he attempted to get away from. And it's quite clear that he is no longer what he once was. It's quite clear that the demon that sits upon his shoulder, cawing away, again, it has a deal, as we will note as we move towards the conclusion, poor conclusion, for this particular character. He thinks, he still has a free mind. He still thinks he is doing what needs to be done. Yeah, I can still get out of this.
1: I can still get out of this. Yeah,
0: he still thinks he can get out of it. Um, but he thinks he can get out of it by following the demon's plan, as we will note as we move on to it. But it is, I think, very fair to say that the character of the advisor by this point has become far more darker as he um, as, more his voice has certainly become more sinister, has become more hunched and much more, oh, well, Um, as he describes the various things that you can do.
1: Yeah. Um, his demeanor is grim, and his mood is darker. Grimdark. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, actually, Hammond... Yeah, that, he is more grimdark. Um,
1: You're not wrong. He is
0: much more grimdark. And a character that beforehand almost walks out of Warhammer 3 with hope in his heart <laughs> has become something quite different by the time we hit Warhammer 1. It's such a happy piece of, hope-
1: It's such a happy cinematic it As really is that raven pursuing well, him and that
0: raven <laughs> pursuing him afterwards it's such a nice end except it really really isn't it's such a zingian thing too he had hope yeah and what
1: is zinch yeah. but hope for a better future <laughs>
0: uh the idiot. hope for
1: change but uh mm-hmm. so uh and i want to thank mornington crescent for bringing this up because i forgot to bring it up earlier which is the covenant of chaos trailer Um, because i do want to talk about that very briefly one of the things we see with the advisor going into warhammer 3 is a really really cool cinematic they made just about him even though technically it's of course revealing the nurgle and slanesh stuff it's actually about him that he gets sent on a mission by the tome of fates which is explicitly zinchian and he is sent to oversee a bargain between zinch and slanesh which is he arrives in a slashy temple where the statues are all super terrifying because they look like cute sexy elf ladies. And then it's actually revealed they're <laughs> demonets torturing people and they're yeah. like hissing at him and they are doing all sorts of stuff. And he's like, Oh God, get me out of here. Uh which one thing i love about the advisor is there's a lot of times where like he seems to kind of know what he's doing in warhammer 3 but he gets the shit scared (laughs) out of him a lot (laughs) he has very human reactions which i love about him a lot
0: particularly if you look at um how panicked he gets when the book is no longer sitting at his hip he's like looking around going yeah yeah yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah,
0: because as he's about to close that deal the slash
1: demons are kind of whispering that there's another force present and as he's about to do what he's supposed to do, he looks down and sees a, a <laughs> corroded symbol of Nurgle, which suddenly causes absolute fucking haywire because he, he's an idiot and he touches it. And it basically ejects like his soul, debatably, into the realm of chaos, and he witnesses a battle between Nurgle and Slaanesh because Nurgle found out about this deal and is here to interrupt it uh, because can't let Slaanesh and Zinch advance in the great game, can't have that. And Nakari comes for him, which is so fucking awesome and terrifying. And Nakari even starts whispering to him, I can give you everything. I can give you whatever you want, whatever desires you have. Just give me the book. Give it to me. And the advisor doesn't. Because what he sees scares him so bad and probably makes him aware that the deal was not going to end with him alive, that he manages to get to the book first and he closes it. Um, and goes, you could tell he has the look on his face of, holy fuck, I should not be here. And he leaves. He does not fulfill the deal, which is really interesting. Anyway, uh, but it's just, it's just a fun little thing, but it kind of shows that he has his own motives. He can, he does have the ability to not explicitly do what the book tells him to do, or at least like he can go there, but he doesn't have to fulfill The future that it might foresee, because that future was probably that Nakari gets to do a bunch of crazy shit that harms, that might bring about the end times, but his soul was about to not have a good time.
0: Yeah, I think this is an important aspect of understanding him as a character as a whole. And that's that at no point does the game suggest that he isn't acting under his own free will, even when we move into Warhammer One and his character appears to be somewhat subsumed in comparison to what it's going to become. Even then, he is doing so because he chooses to do so. And I think that is an important aspect of understanding who the advisor is. He's not, to go back into the most ancient of terms in terms of Warhammer lore, he's not a slave to darkness. He absolutely Mm -mm. isn't. Unlike the vast majority of those that fall to chaos, and they start losing themselves to chaos, at no point does he. Even when you're at the very beginning... I believe, of, yeah, he still has his soul. He has not broken yeah, it away. He still has it. the very beginning, and you see him mutate and fall, and the deal that is reached out with him to allow him to appear like the younger version of himself that comes later as we move into Warhammer 3, there have been deals made and decisions made, but he hasn't, strictly speaking, lost himself. Unlike almost every other character you would imagine would under these circumstances it speaks to his overall goal it speaks to his overall character and for all you could argue that by the time we reach warhammer one he is effectively a slave to darkness um you could say that because of his actions in that his actions all lead towards that outcome but he is choosing them and there we hit a philosophical debate does it matter if you are free or not free if the outcome is the same and i think that is an interesting debate to potentially have hey godzilla cough i don't remember the trailer you should bring it up right now and watch it we might watch <laughs> some at the very end but
1: like time wise maybe at the end um, time we'll, we'll is always the
0: a thing but it's my birthday so i can watch what the fuck i want but yes good point yes. um and Hammond. thank you very much again Hammond. if you were him would you stay with Zinch or what
1: other guy would you side with to try and escape the clutches of Zinch? i think that's the thing is that at the end of warhammer 3 He thinks he can escape, and he realizes to his horror, no, you can't. Yeah. Um, That's the lesson of Warhammer 3. He thinks he can get away, and he fails.
0: Yeah, I agree completely. And I think that if you're looking at the overall Warhammer cosmology and how things work, and we all know that things work differently according to the writer at hand. But we have some relatively broad brushstrokes that we can drop into place in that if you are aligned with Chaos, there are certain ends that are not necessarily as awful as they first appear. Although the truth of that is rarely how it appears anyway. You could argue that maybe Demon Prince Doom or some equivalent is potentially in his future, but he has always fought against that which attempts to control him. He has always looked for other routes through. He has, for example, used the blood of a god to try and attempt a freedom of sorts so he can use all of the power of the book without any of the downsides of the book. There is a certain level of arrogance that runs through him that I think does speak to his origins as a light wizard, that then moves towards his next step as he realises that has failed. And the only way he can continue on is to fulfil the book's desires, or in this case, "Ah, ah," that which lies as the book's representative. There is, um, I think, in this particular case, a lot to be said about his character and the choices that were made. And if he'd made different choices it'd probably be a different outcome as we're slowly moving towards. Yeah.
1: Also really interestingly, just a quick little thought about that of what's interesting is that he doesn't have the book anymore. in Warhammer one, um, doesn't he? He's forgotten
0: that. No, Does no, he he no,
1: no, he doesn't carry it with him anymore. He just, he just, has, yeah, he just has yeah, the because I think it's implied yeah. that the book's power came from Sartorial, which yeah. I think reinforces your point earlier that if you put a different demon in the book, I bet it would have different effects. It would be yeah, a like kind of book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Sartorius is what gave the book its properties as far as like being able to see things. And we'll get into why Sartorial is able to do that in a minute. Um, but uh finally, um, we get to Warhammer One, which has a bunch of different storylines. I I very much believe the advisor visits every single one of the factions. Um, what is awesome about the advisor in Warhammer One is that he actually goes through links to in Warhammer 3, we get to see him introduce himself to the factions and be like, Oh, please don't kill me. Like katarin almost freezes him to death, and he's like, Oh, please don't, <laughs> I don't want to die. I'm here to help. Um, and like a bunch of other shenanigans. But he convinces them. We actually see that in the cinematic. In Warhammer One, he's already met them. Um, yeah. in Warhammer one, he reveals that he's already met all of them and they trust him for X reason. Um, so like he was able to convince them that he did whatever. Um but uh, he is not, um, we, we we miss out on the actual initial meeting. But we'll talk about all that in a second. Michael, so hey, Michael Kabanda for being a 40k demon, but not Sartorial. Happy B-Day, Andy. The reason is simple. Uh, Sartorial did not show up in the end times and steal the limelight and curb stomp a bunch of characters and be the ultimate big bad of the end times, despite never having shown up in anything Warhammer related prior to that. Sarthoriel is not also like a big main character known for taking on multiple, like a Primarch, and have like a big love hate relationship, or sorry, hate love to hate relationship with the Blood Angels. He is a cameo character that shows up in a really old
0: 40k Black Library book. Yeah, like 2001. We're talking proper old now by standard Warhammer versions. Um, I, I'll just add my little bit here. It's actually quite common um to find the 40k fantasy connections nowadays, where when we're looking all the way back to, let me think of the army list, we're looking 5th edition, 4th, 5th, 6th edition. So 6th edition, um, Warhammer, is where it started getting drilled down hard and then they sort of diverged from it again They moved back in. Um, but you tend to find it was nothing more than a brief mention here or there, with some characters taking on far more. But it's Arthuriel, he's it's almost hardly even there.
1: Yeah, and uh, I do want to answer this real quick just because i think it's worth talking about how did the advisor making a deal with sartorial when he got the first curse if he didn't know a demon was in the book I, he did know sartorial was in the book i think is the yeah. thing he meets sartorial the first time he opens the book what yeah. he did not realize was that using the Godblood would free sartorial from the book that's yeah. what he didn't realize
0: i think that ultimately speaks to the entirety of his character Um, The choice that he made right at the very beginning was to gain access to this information at the cost of himself. He was aware of the dangers and he chose to access it in the hope that he could get and receive a better outcome. And then once he had accessed it, he went out of his way to try and free himself from it and thought he had found a route to do so. But as we know, by the time we hit Warhammer 1, he has failed. it has not succeeded
1: so but a couple of interesting things are revealed about the advisors capabilities during the warhammer one intro cinematics one of the things that's really interesting is that despite being like an old guy who clearly appears to be some kind of wizard he's able to convince high king thorgrim grudge bearer to take him on as an advisor which like damn that must have been an impressive argument i Um, mean he's
0: dodgy as fuck yeah he's super dodgy (laughs) I mean, I mean, if he came up to me and went, hello, I'm here to try and advise you about something, I'd be like, dude, speak normal. <laughs> and he'd be like, I have dark rituals which might present some form of advantage for you. You'd be like, no! You know, somehow... You're creepy! (laughs) You look like you tried to have somebody sit in your knee like a bad Santa! Get out of
1: here! Yeah, so it's it's very interesting to imagine, but it it was probably very similar to the Total War 3 scenarios, where he probably gets almost murdered in every one of those circumstances, but then he, through very clever conversations convinces them to at least let him have a chance and then he proves himself again and again and again and they're like oh yeah okay maybe this guy is reliable um on his side yeah which uh and there's i mean there are characters that full-on hate him like it talks about that Grimgore barely tolerates his presence or that uh kazrak the one eye really doesn't like him but kazrak senses there's something about him that he needs to keep around um, yeah, see,
0: a character like Kazrak, I could almost imagine um, not just accepting him, but understanding that he is effectively um, a seer. Of yeah, these- he's
1: basically a Bray Shaman. Like, he's given, yeah. he's blessed by the gods. Like that, And, and that's, that's implied. That's why Kazrak tolerates him.
0: Indeed, that makes sense. Some of the other characters that accept him, you are just left with going, well, there has to be a reason that's far more beyond the fact that he's saying things that are acceptable. It's simply not enough. And I think that speaks to the influence of the entity that's influencing him. Um, There has to be more involved than just simply he turns up and they say, oh, you know what? This extremely creepy guy who talks in a creepy way with his crow, a crow, by the way, that is by its nature associated with Zeench Anyway, it's a classic <laughs> symbol of Zeench. The Crow tribes in the north are known for being fallen to Zeench. Yeah. Well, um, what it, I do
1: love is that his crow, raven, whatever the hell it is, it it also it never is with him when he talks to the characters. It always yeah, leaves before he actually chats with the characters themselves.
0: It's it's such an obvious bad guy. Oh yeah. Um, that anyone um, that was anyone would immediately go. Get away from me. <laughs> yeah, no, no. So there is a further answer. And yes, we all know that the real reason that he's accepted as the advisor yeah, is because logic. it's super cheap assets. Yeah, but it, it's, um, fun. it's but, fun to imagine how those initial Yeah, Yeah. but the story that actually supports that is much more fun and much more fascinating because it's not just that he's clearly walking the threads of fate that always allow him to get the best outcome. That wouldn't be enough for some of these factions. It's clearly that he has some form of influence that goes beyond that alone. And that is, I think, a fascinating aspect of where this character has arrived at. Yeah,
1: and he's successful. That's the other big thing, is that he proves himself consistently. Um, but I will say my favorite one of the intro movies is actually the Wood Elf one because it's the only one where the advisor explicitly explains. I pull,
0: just pull this one up. Raven is actually more the god of death. Um, Crow uh, was naturally associated with Zinch, um, although sometimes brought up with uh, Nurgle as well, purely because of the Carrion and Crow aspect of it. But typically, um, all the way through the editions, except for maybe the latest where they tended to mix things up because there was so much lore that most people forgot about what came before. Typically, crow was one hundred percent zinch. All the bird stuff—you don't see bird stuff with Nurgle. Um, Nurgle and birds just do not do the thing. It's generally Nurgle with, say, flies, for example, yeah, big there was, Yeah,
1: there was a big. Uh, I think the big thing that really got everyone with ravens and zinch was the uh, the MMO because it's the raven. They call them the raven god, and it's the raven they tribe It's kind of the main thing there. It's very, it's so raven heavy. It's not even funny. Uh, yeah, um, in, although. In total right, no, Warhammer sorry. for the Norsekin tribes, if you dedicate to Zinch, you dedicate to the Raven god, and if you dedicate to Nurgle, you dedicate to the Crow god. Is yeah, how the Norskins are used. Uh, they yeah, because they use an animal totem for each of them. So corn is the hound, Zinch is the raven, Nurgle is the crow,
0: and Slanesh is the serpent. Bit of a mistake. Yeah, Because <laughs> they're the same bird. Anyway, Ivan, <laughs> late to the party. Happy birthday, Andy! Thank you very much, Ivan. Deeply appreciate it.
1: Anyway, so back to the advisor. Um, In the Wood Elf campaign, I love that he, he, it's one of the only campaigns where he like really explains why the Wood Elves accept him. Because, you know, that's like Wood Elves. They're like so isolationist and they're like a human. And it's revealed that the advisor has demonstrated to the Wood Elves that he understands the magic that was used to create all of their, the waystones that keep the forest locked in and that a lot of the magic within Athel Loren has started to go kind of quirky um, and is not behaving appropriately, and that a lot of the waystones that contain Athel Loren are starting to fail. And Mm -hmm. he demonstrates to the Wood Elves that he understands how they work to such an extent that he can repair them.
0: But I will argue, um, and I think this is a fair argument, (laughs) Elves are dicks.
1: Oh yeah, sorry, Literally. Dominic's right. Zinch is the eagle in the Norse campaign. Yeah, there My we apologies. Go. Um,
0: yeah, so elves are dicks and they're self-righteous dicks and they think they're better than everyone else. Simply having a human come up and say I understand your shit better than you do is in many respects just not enough. The vast majority of them would be like yeah, now nah, get out. They wouldn't even reach there. But, the, but he did. The perfect thread of fate that was tread down showing up at the right time, talking to the right person saying the right thing and is that enough? I would say if you were to just take it on this blank face, no it's not, because the elves are so, so suspicious that he is beyond dodgy Uh, he is just simply beyond dodgy, if a wizard comes up and says hey, I understand your ship better than you, the first thing they'll respond is Fuck off, Zeech guy. Let's kill you. (laughs) You're quite clearly a bad guy, but he doesn't. And anyone who's a seer or anyone who's got any capability of understanding the threads of fate would say, look, this is clearly someone that's to do with Zeech. It's 100% obvious, but they don't. And that, I think, is the deeper story. And that's because he is advised directly by, well, as we note, a greater demon. And that being the case has access to greater information and potentially greater influence.
1: Uh, is Sartorio's title, The Everwatcher, relevant at all? Yes. Uh, I yeah. think we can actually dive into that right now. Or does it just sound cool? Uh, happy and birthday, I think,
0: due a respect, it actually talks to everything we're discussing here. The fact that he's The Ever Watcher gives him the perfect position to be, uh, here we go, The Advisor.
1: Yes. So uh yeah yeah thank you Hammond. Thanks, Hammond. Uh, so what's interesting about the advisor is that he's advised by Sarthoriel the everwatcher literally whenever he's about to talk to anybody Sarthorio comes down and says hey make sure you say this make sure you do this um and Sarthoriel is kind of revealed through some of the notes in like the art book and the the campaigns and stuff like that that Sartorial has a very specific job, which is that he is the Everwatcher. What does that mean? That means that Sartorial is trying to watch all of the strands of fate that lead to one specific conclusion, which is that he's kind of like a barometer test for if the end times are at hand. And his job is to not only keep an eye out for if the end times can be brought about sometime soon, but to ensure that is the particular series of events that takes place to manipulate fate to ensure that the end times are coming
0: and actually think about what that means in the perspective of the game um whomever you play is destined to win In terms of the game that you're playing now obviously you might screw up and lose the game because because that happens all too often um but if you want to view for example the advisor as someone who is just one person who is going to come to one group and advise them towards success in many respects the barometer is the perfect term because if for example you pop along and you attend the dwarves the dwarves win the campaign and the end times do not, strictly speaking, turn out the way everybody expects. If alternatively you play with chaos, the end times come, and it's bad. It's really, really bad. Yep. Um, and that's all down to whichever person is sitting on his shoulder. I do want to bring this up for Mike, that yes, it, the
1: advisor in some of his speeches in Warhammer 1, he does heavily imply that the way he was able to get initial meetings with the faction leaders is through recommendations that he advised a bunch of other people who were like yeah this guy knows his shit like he's really
0: good at what he does and that got his foot in the door
1: yeah uh, I'm um, just interesting
0: he has been given the perfect path by Zinch. he yeah. knows how to get where he needs to be because he has been given all of the future all of the present it's at his <laughs> fingertips and he can see where to go next so i don't think that that is in any way controversial um it's easy to say that he would be able to get into a good place. It's easy to say he'd say the right things, but for some factions, almost no matter what he said or did, it would not be enough. But the demon has an outcome that it requires. It's following those threads of fate. And if you're playing one of those factions that would perhaps deny him, Nevertheless, he succeeds, and I think that speaks to some aspect of his character that needs to be reflected in terms of if you're building him, say, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, you would be looking to build something into that character that said, and this is why he is accepted. Yep. Now, what's interesting about Warhammer
1: 1 is while in Warhammer 3, it's more implied that he advises every faction, at least for a little bit, because they're all competing towards kind of a weird but very specific goal, being Urson. And Warhammer 1, that is not the case. They're all just kind of doing their own thing, trying to survive. So it could be more heavily implied that he only advises one faction, which is revealed that there is a canonical faction he advises, which is the Warriors of Chaos. So
0: he goes north. Here we go. Just before we do that, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you, Randy. Happy birthday to you. One more year closer <laughs> to being a life beast. Wait a minute, Ricky. <laughs> you. You're going to be all what dusty? one more year. That happened last year.
1: <laughs> Don't worry, you'll still be alive. You'll just be really dusty. <laughs> but, uh, so any event, he goes to the Wars of Chaos and he gets to meet Archaon and he becomes one of archaon's advisors which to be fair archaon has a lot of lieutenants a lot of advisors and archaon is super fucking scary but the advisor is able to chat with him and get into his inner court and he helps influence archaon to bringing about the end times and archaon begins his big invasion but this leads to the ultimate big twist and the done done which is that the advisor, when Archon becomes powerful enough to genuinely take on the mantle of Everchosen, and to gen- like he's gathered all the artifacts as you play through your campaign, and he's powerful enough to finally set everything into motion, the 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 other shoe drops, which is the advisor shows up and reveals that he has his own legion, he has his own big old army that he has stolen from under your nose. He's been plotting against you this entire time, and he genuinely laughs at you. He goes, Oh, you think you can attain ultimate power fool? I manipulated you this entire time. And he starts laughing maniacally. And as he does, the white Raven flies up into the sky and explodes in this big ball of light. And the advisor freaks the fuck out because this was not supposed to happen clearly, or at least he hadn't been told this was going to happen. And he starts genuinely rambling (laughs) <laughs> I did the wrong one. Oh, dodgy, dodgy johan is warhammer santa because he has access to all the presents
0: oh man <laughs> okay if you don't know in my lawhammer game the advisor has uh, been dubbed dodgy johan by my players um and <laughs> so all the presents because <laughs> he's he gonna he's bring all the present. oh man amusing yeah, let's he do gives the <laughs> best
1: presents because he sees all. <laughs>
0: <Bro> here, <laughs> he what, you rock. That was he knows amusing. what you
1: wanted for Christmas or for Festag. <laughs> but uh the the advice Johan, the advisor, is genuinely terrified. The voice actor does such a good job with this role. Yeah, he he's terrified and he's rambling. He's bowing down. He's saying, I did everything you asked of me. I did everything to the letter. I obeyed your every wish. I fulfilled your every command. I have been nothing but loyal. Don't do this to me. And the Mm -hmm. Raven flies down on him and it rips his guts out uh, or it pecks his eyes out. It literally rips out his eyes and it pecks him to death and kind of slowly and agonizingly, to be honest, murders him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um this is um an interesting one again it gives you a clear potential end for the entirety of the total war warhammer campaign and that is that chaos wins and that speaks directly well, to that, the yes, end times.
1: Yeah not necessarily I'll I'll get there in a second but um the last thing is that the bird flies up in the air turns into Sartorial and he picks up the corpse of the advisor and says all our pawns to the great deceiver and then he throws the advisor's corpse on the ground because this pawn has served its purpose and then he roars and then you get the really badass art that they created, which shows Sartorial fighting Archaon, And it's revealed that Sartorial is here to fuck you up. Uh, he has manipulated you into this place, but now he is going to kill you and take it all for himself. Uh, because that is his ambition, is to be the big bad in charge. And you fight him and you beat him because you're the ever chosen.
0: And wins. wins. Yeah, um, yeah uh, quite. Now, what's interesting um...
1: <laughs> is that you as the player, canonically, can lose still at this point. Your I campaign you is can. not. Your campaign is not over <laughs> defeating Sarthorial. Yeah, like just beating Sarthoriel does not actually win you the campaign. You still have to defeat the forces of everybody. Yeah. So theoretically, this is an you end time scenario. Lose. Yeah, but you can still lose the battle at midtime.
0: Yeah, you know? I suppose you could. I honestly considered that because I won. Um, yeah, good point. Well made. Uh, so, what does this all mean? Um, so we've got ourselves our advisor who is fated to go through a certain path and, if you advise the warriors of chaos, reach his end. But I think that we speak to the very nature of Threads and Fate and Zinch if we look at this character as someone who is not any one thing. He is either A, multiple things, and we go down the Lower Master Sotek route where he is speaking to all of the factions. But In terms of that being a reality, it seems almost nonsensical in that Hmm. all of those factions meet and they all talk and they are all going to be discussing what they're doing. Now, not everyone speaking to everyone else, but at our equivalent of our conclave of light, if Carl Franz is sitting there going, hi, I'm Carl Franz, do my thing. Hey, everyone, I've got a big hammer, slam the table. Table doesn't break, properly reinforced. Hey, Thorgrim, how are you doing? Hey, have you seen this umgi over here? What umgi? You mean my pal? As the elves come in and go, yeah, well, what do you mean your pal? He's <laughs> my he pal. Our friend. <laughs> uh, so if you're looking at it in terms of it being a realistic world, and we're looking at it as something that would occur in a version of the Warhammer world, what is offered by Total of War, and the lights have just been switched off, Oh, I can hear people. <laughs> Yay! Birthday song! Happy birthday, dear oh my <laughs> <laughs> A candle's just falling over. They're bringing happy candles over. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> yeah, I <Hooray>! <laughs> <laughs> We've had a surprise happy birthdaying at this end.
1: Good. No, we need more of those.
0: Real- I've made a wish about the advisor thank oh, you dear. very much oh dear <laughs> thanks everyone for all of your birthday wishes that's super nice thank you very much for coming in with the happy birthdays um you can't see this but my wife is wearing underwear over there <laughs> that <laughs> that is not what i expected to see as i turned around holy crap sex. um right so um
1: that aside
0: let's put my cake down there while i uh right uh yes yeah, so it speaks to i'm amazed is... you kept your train
1: of thought but go ahead <laughs> i did
0: it yeah. speaks to uh do we have a comment first let's yeah, do that uh, first. Yes. uh
1: let's see do sigmar hate any mention of this character assassination fest of a bad fanfic that is the end times and the thoughts of the warriors of chaos campaign being canned well okay i will say this that a is <laughs> thanks joe that's super cute <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Josie, so much. Uh, that the idea of the end times being a mess, absolutely, we we have a whole hate stream you can go watch on it. That was super fun <laughs> to do. Um, yeah, but do. Uh, like, as much as everybody, like, granted, your version does not have to go this way. But like, from a canonical standpoint, we've talked about this in the past, Warhammer Fantasy inevitably will end with Chaos winning. Yeah. It is the inevitable.
0: But, and this is where I'm now going to add a contradiction. Yeah, go for it. This is a computer game. And the choices you make determine the outcome, which means chaos not only can lose, probably will. Because Hmm. it's only one faction amongst many. The advisor will advise one of the factions at the very least. And given that you're playing, it's likely to be the faction that's going to win. That's loosely speaking how it often goes, unless you play like me. Um, (laughs) it's not very good at what you're doing as you sit there speaking to the lizard man and and he's like hey don't worry I'm an advisor you definitely trust me Um, because that works Um, but the advisor comes with all of his influence and under most circumstances that are presented by Warhammer Total War the advisor advises a different faction to chaos to success And that is an outcome that is quite frankly separate from this Warhammer timeline that is Warhammer 8, where chaos wins. And if you choose to take the chaos path, chaos clearly wins. The advisor dies. It all goes very wrong. But if you don't, you still have this advisor character who has been strongly influenced by demons et al and led fate zinch and the ultimate choices of zinch towards a success and i think it's fair to say that you can take the route that the advisor is everywhere but if you do that it starts to break with any scrutiny so if you choose to take the opposite route which is he goes somewhere the big big answer the big question here is if you're looking towards building your own end time story where does the advisor go because wherever the advisor goes, is probably going to win. Because that's the demon that watches the winners. And that ultimately is a super fascinating story. It's a super fascinating influence as you attempt, if you're running an end time scenario, to pull that character towards your way of thinking, rather than heading off to, I don't know, the Chaos guys. Because the Chaos guys, they're going to win. He's a super fascinating character because he is intrinsically tied to the end of the world and how it is going to pan out, or alternatively, the lack of the end of the world because he watches the winners.
1: Yeah, and also, like, if you're uh, <laughs> you can't see it, but I too, they see thing. before,
0: any... <laughs> you can't see it, but I am also wearing underwear, as am I?
1: <laughs> I. It's fair to say, <laughs> I think most of us probably are. Yeah, no, everyone knows that when I do Lord Beards, I only wear a T-shirt. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, uh, it's a really fun character to work with, uh, especially like if you're doing like Wolf and you want it to be kind of epic scale, then if your party's involved, he would inevitably run into your party. Mm hmm and maybe be trying to push them certain ways, and could be a really, like like he does in Lawhammer, a really spooky, weird character who says very strange things, and your party's going, there's something off about that guy, but at the same time, he says really interesting things. (laughs) He's very dodgy, but...
0: Yeah, ultimately, yes. He's a character that, if you're playing in your own scenarios, he can bring something super fascinating to the table, because he brings, ultimately at its heart, success and that is scary because Hmm. he might not side with you all spooky so oh spooky hey we got ourselves a quick one there (laughs) i'm not gonna read that Oh I mean, no, just no on that one. I'd just like to bring up there one from Lindsay who's currently sitting at the other side of the room there, currently taking photographs of herself dressed as an elf. Uh tidings of comfort <laughs> and joy. Comfort <laughs> and joy, oh tidings of comfort and joy. Pardon? I missed the first bit. Is there another bit? Before yeah, there's a, oh, yeah, there's a first yeah. bit. All oh, rest ye merry, Lord, be fans. Let nothing you dismay. For Andy Lawyer, save her part upon this day. Ish. To save you all from missing lore when it has gone astray. Tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Yeah, good job, Andy. <laughs> Thank you very much. Remember, it is fueled by. Jack Daniels, he anybody performer. sound like a fool.
1: You, you can throw money at him through Super Chats. That's what you're supposed <laughs> to do, <for> public <laughs> performers. Throw coins. Uh, okay, so... Oh, look, is there questions. anything else that we should cover? Or do we just have well, questions, questions. there, do you think? Uh, okay, no, please. no, I, I think we can jump right into it. I think that's a good overall culmination. Tells a really fun storyline. Um, I agree. I like the idea. In, in three, he talks to everybody. But in one, mm-hmm. he only goes one path. Um, and it, it's... He's a great character. I like him a lot.
0: It'd be, I would...
1: It's funny oh. that he doesn't have a name.
0: <laughs> I would like to take this opportunity to address you all out there on this day of my birth and say that if you haven't yet subscribed to the Master of Sotex channels, no, no, no. then you are, of course, the worst. Making the right decision. <laughs> you should be right now going over to the Master of Sotex channels and going, oh, what are these channels? Oh, I see there's a subscribe button. I could press that yes yes you should subscribe to his channel twitch of course youtube and anywhere else you may find him out there go (laughs) press subscribe i've already given my big pitch for why you subscribe to me because it's my bloody birthday earlier on in the stream if you didn't catch that part of the stream come back watch this video again later give us more views yeah please (laughs) We need to eat. <laughs> we, we need to eat. Um, but I go quite the heavy. Go subscribe. Let's say petition earlier on in the stream. But for the moment, I would just like to say, go and subscribe to the Lore Master of Sotek because he simply rocks. Well, I appreciate that. It's question time. All right, question
1: time. time. So, uh, Sir Beardington, could the advisor have done better if he had gone off script uh, rather than betray Archaon? I think for, I don't think he really had much of a choice to be, like, it depends on how you feel about what his capabilities are. Could he have, if he could have chosen not to betray Archaeon, he probably would still be alive, debatably. Yeah. Um,
0: um, I think I agree here. I think that by the time we're dealing with the advisor in the Warriors of Chaos campaign, he has gone beyond what his original roots were into pure, full-on, chaos-worshipping, chaos-fronting lunacy. He has lost himself. He is no longer the advisor that we had before. He is no longer that hope-filled character that, like the fool, tripped off the edge of a cliff. He has gone beyond all of that to actual power-hungry, grubbing for anything he can, to uh, effectively drag Zinch's will to his own and potentially ascend demonhood. But that ascension is curtailed and cut off short if you choose that route. If you choose a different route then your faction, probably unless you're, well let's be honest depends on the difficulty you're playing at, but probably turns out relatively well meaning that the end of the world may not even come. And the arguably scary thing about all of that is that's probably Zinch's will. Yeah, that it's not this is not the
1: right time for the end times. There's Absolutely. something there's something bigger, uh, with Champions mm-hmm. of Chaos and oh, uh, oh god, uh, Forge of the Chaos Dwarfs. Forge replaced <laughs> any thoughts. Uh, so yeah, that's actually something interesting they do in Warhammer 3 is that Johan or Dodgy Johan leaves after the base Warhammer 3 campaign, he doesn't show up after that. There's a different advisor after that, which is interesting. interesting. Because it implies that if they're continuing with the same idea, this other advisor might be a different character. They haven't mm. given her a character yet. Uh, she doesn't even have a portrait. Her portrait is purely in shadow, which is very interesting. Um, but it's implied mm. that because of the end of Warhammer 3, all of the DLCs take place after Urson has been freed. Because Catherine is the canonical winner. So he mm-hmm. he's free from the book and he leaves. That's why mm. he doesn't come back. He's got other things to go do, and we mm-hmm. get that the the woman who has a um like a an eastern accent um that takes over for the champions of chaos stuff. Who whether she is an actual individual or not is not said. She's more kind of like a god level narrator as opposed to an actual character because she doesn't show up in anything.
0: But All right, interesting. Oh, I'm going to interrupt with my own question because it's my fucking birthday. Yeah. Um. So one interpretation potentially of the outcomes for the third game oh. is that the book is successfully cleansed and the demon is also potentially cleansed. Is that a potential? Could be. Given that I haven't actually played through that part, I don't know. So I'm quite interested to see what you think, Mr. Sotin. I So we see him still with the book at the mm-hmm. end of the, the third
1: cinematic. Like he's still carrying it with him. Um, but but, cleansed arguably yeah but cleansed arguably and he also doesn't have it later yeah which to me almost suggests that because of sartorial he's either forced to or willingly gives up the book and maybe it winds up in other places and this mysterious
0: narrator is someone reading from the book who is not him it's a woman so are we looking at to make the best sense of that a Warhammer 4 to sit between 3 and 1. I don't think we're going to get that, but it would be nice. (laughs) Neither do I. But that would, I think, explain it because we have ourselves um, a strong potential disparity between the end of 3 where you could argue he has succeeded and the beginning of 1 where you can't argue that he has succeeded because he certainly probably hasn't. What's super
1: distinct um, is that... uh, (laughs) Agree, the writer
0: uh, says. I'm taking a different angle here. How about
1: it, it, now that it, we've I mean, um he retired because <laughs> he's he is a very he, uh, the, uh, the voice actor. Uh, I believe he's in, 80s, um, yeah, I so, he's in his eighties, actually.
0: Yeah. So no, I think he still does stuff with them. Okay. Um, so he, he still does trailers. Yeah. How about we go for a completely different angle? Let's say at the end of three, he does succeed, and um, the reason that he doesn't of the book um by one is because he succeeded. He doesn't need it. He's got all of his stuff. He's learned everything he needs to learn. And that, with the vast majority of playthroughs, you stop the end times. Yep, yeah, that could very
1: well be. Because what's interesting is that the, quote-unquote, new advisor is not a character in that, like, when you're playing through those campaigns, the characters don't talk to the narrator. They, If you're playing a Chaos Dwarf or a Champions of Chaos campaign, they're just talking to themselves. Like, you get, like, mm-hmm. Valkia in the intro of your campaign, just is like, ah, oh, I'm Valkia, here's some random facts about what's happening
0: around me. Oh, um, man, I need to play this.
1: Yeah. um, Whereas um, and the narrator only talks to the player, only the player and only talks from a narrative perspective of like describing who the champions of chaos are, who the chaos dwarfs are and like how to do a couple of little things. But what's interesting is that it could imply that there is simply an observer, which I still find interesting. Um, There is someone observing events um, and it could be anyone if you really want
0: to have fun with it. Yeah, totally. Uh, Was that the does... moment
1: he tried to read the book, he went blind? No, there's a very explicitly mentioned moment when the advisor goes blind, which is in the epilogue of Warhammer 3.
0: Warhammer 3, yeah. Um, So we have a potential outcome here where um we've got ourselves a character who's a light wizard who has made a judgment to accept forbidden knowledge in the hope of a good outcome takes that forbidden knowledge on, falls, becomes something new, and then withdraws until eventually is seen again, having a new, younger face, advising others with access to information that can only be properly deployed in the service of another party. Through the course of that life, he eventually reaches the point where he drives a faction, in this case, Kislev, if we're running by the official storyline, towards an outcome which allows him to be freed from the book. We then move towards the first game, um, where in almost every single playthrough, the Chaos hordes are defeated. Unless you play Chaos, where he chooses to side with Chaos with all the knowledge that he has and the Chaos Gods tear him apart for this. And this arguably is the canonical end. Because as we all know, Chaos, the end goes on to win in the end times, if you tie this through to Warhammer 8. So you could argue that in almost every playthrough, he ends up as a good guy. Yep. Now, well that'd it, be an interesting argument, given just how much of a dodgy bloke he is. Yeah. Well,
1: it's it's... Yeah, it's very fun and interesting. Uh I kind of wish argument. Had, Yeah, I wish they had given him more interesting cinematics in the Warhammer one if you're not playing as Chaos. Because if you're playing as anybody else, he just is like, Oh shit, the end times are coming. <laughs> yeah. Um uh and it's the exact right. same cinematic, regardless of who you're playing. Whereas yeah. with Archeon, you get that unique cinematic with him and his death. But uh and I think and I um,
0: think that would be argued to be the canonical end because that seems to be Yeah, cuz it gets
1: the unique cinematic.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Um but I think if you're looking at the overall potential of the story that would be that under 99% of the time he is actually helping someone towards defeating chaos except for the time he sides with chaos and he dies for it. Yeah.
1: everyone's like, except for the Greenskins.
0: I don't know. Like, if the Greenskins win, the world isn't over. It's just yeah, the world's not gone full of
1: Greenskins. <laughs> yeah,
0: totally. And the Greenskins have won multiple times in the past in various campaigns. Large waz that conquer everything. They fall apart. They fall into infighting, and other empires rise up from the ashes that lie there. Chaos represents when it wins something quite different to other factions when they win. Chaos represents ultimately the complete destruction of the world, where greenskins yeah. just re- represent destruction. Yeah, that's that's
1: the thing. Like all the other factions, if you're looking from a purely human perspective, you're like, "Oh God, this is the end of everything." But it's not yeah. about just humans. There's other things like life carries on. Whereas if mm. chaos wins, no, it doesn't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, so, questions, pardon yeah, me. Anyway, that was uh that was a yeah. nice aside because it was my birthday. Thanks for no, no
1: I, I thought it was very <laughs> interesting. Um, is there a way for the advisor to potentially regain his eyesight? Sure, magic. It's a thing, yeah. And um, yeah, there's
0: gonna be all manner of different ways of doing it. Although, if you uh accept that it is a divine I was gonna say, though,
1: Andy, do you think he was made blind to go seer form?
0: Um if he's a seer now. If he is someone that has gone full seer, then the answer is probably not. And if he did get his eyesight back, he would lose access to everything that he had gained from the tome.
1: Yeah, because I, I would bet that's why he's made blind, in a sense. Yeah. yeah. Um. So and, I, he can use I, and I would
0: argue for the potential alternative endings, it's one of the reasons why whichever faction he attaches to potentially comes towards a win, because he has got true sight, so to speak.
1: Yep. Uh, would the advisor story be better if he had ascended into a demon prince or alternatively devolved into a chaos spawn? Could have been fun. It, it, it yeah. would have just been a fun alternative.
0: I think that would have made a super fun one, particularly if he if you had a really strong narrative for the book being cleansed and then him falling after that. Um. The uh, the classic example of too much knowledge is a bad thing. The call of Cthulhu-esque version where the more, you know, the closer you get to insanity and losing yourself to everything. And I think that could have made a super fun end. Yes.
1: Yeah. I think he would have had a very fun, very different story. If the plan had been, if there had been a narrative in place from the start, which there wasn't at all. It's very, very, I've like, I've chatted with them was never a plan that's why he doesn't even show up in warhammer 2 there was no plan to bring the advisor back uh it wasn't until they were making 3 they were like oh you know what would be kind of cool if we did this um which i'm glad they did because they made a really badass character out of it
0: absolutely um it's a classic example of patching up the story as you go and making it really cool (laughs) with what you have already established and if the Warhammer One, for example, was to be remade, it would be the perfect opportunity to provide a really neat cartful cinematic for each one of the different factions. Doompig asks, if the advisor is your advisor, then why did he lose so easily? Is he
1: stupid? I feel like that might be a reflection of who he's advising, unfortunately. <laughs> Sadly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he can advise, but he can't do it for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's your job as the player. <laughs> My lord. <laughs>
1: Stop giving them boogers <laughs> for the love of God. Our army should be facing the other way. <laughs> um, uh, potato salad. To me, um, what is the Tome of Fate? Does it have any? Oh, this is a great question, actually. So we've talked about what it is, is that it seems to be a device that can contain a demon. In this case, Arthur of the Everwatcher, but it also allows him to have a lot better strong grasp on how to manipulate reality. Um, yep. However, does it have any connection with the well of eternity and or kyros fate weaver? Which the answer is maybe uh yeah. which for those who don't know I the mean, well of eternity is a concept that in the realm of chaos there is a place called the well of eternity that is it is time like it is literally eternity itself has a place and it's it's everything that will ever happen and could ever happen and has ever happened but it's so much that the God Zinch is scared to go in it because Zinch is convinced that even a God would not survive that kind of experience. It's too much. And he chucks a certain demon into it known as Kairos fate weaver, who is brutally like weakened by the experience. Like physically Kairos fate weaver is the weakest demon, a greater demon. He's very weak and he can't see the present. Like he's literally blinded to the present, but Kairos has perfect, future and sight vision. It's not like Sartorial, where Sartorial can kind of like figure out, okay, this is the future I want to go to and I can get some information about the past but only about the events that are relevant to what I'm doing. Kairos has perfect past and future vision.
0: Yeah. I would argue instead, if you're trying to make some form of sense of this, one easy way to do it would be that we've got ourselves a watcher who is very much a representation of the present. Representation of what is (laughs) happening right now. This Watcher is observing. And then you've got Kairos Fateweaver, who has past and present very, very neatly sewn up and arguably sewn into that book. So you could argue that fate, if you wish to put a scribe for this book, you would say Fateweaver wrote it and the Watcher uses it. Yeah, Trapped in it because trapped by the present and the future, incapable of moving beyond because it's the present it makes sense mm. for it to be in that book. It makes sense for it to eventually be freed from that book, still trapped in the present, future and past being effectively the bars that it cannot move past. It makes a certain amount of sympathetic sense.
1: Yeah. Also, if you want to laugh, keeping in mind that Sartorial literally is the book, go watch the intro cinematic with uh, Kairos Weaver talking to the visor because Kairos seems, it's very heavily implied, Kairos knows that the book is sartorial and he just throws so much shade being like I can obliterate this bitch and it will not be hard <laughs> which is just really funny um anyway um Service in. what is your favorite game intro with the advisor approaching one of the legendary lords i think game 3 had all of the best ones uh, my mm, they're all very very good my personal favorite is probably the ogre one because it's just it's very funny and that the advisor comes to the ogres with this really well crafted plan of how to manipulate the ogres' desire for power. Um, let's see the most important part of the new advisoress witnessing the birth of dread incarnate the hammer storm, <laughs> Harold, Harold Hammer storm. Uh, she narrates his um little thing. <laughs> Good old Harry the Hammer.
0: Looking forward to playing that. I do love Hammer, Harry the Hammer. I've got but, that
1: yeah, but uh, the um, the thing about uh, the ogre intro that I love so much is he comes before Grease's Goldtooth at this big gathering of all the ogre tribes because Scrag the Slaughter is there too, and he's like, he's like, I've like I've come to tell you that this god is dying and its ultimate power. If you get some of this god blood, you could be the most powerful thing in the universe, which should appeal to ogre sensibilities. But Grease's response is so great because Grease's goes, "Power ogres are power." let's eat this guy and he goes no no wait wait don't eat me (laughs) which is so i love it so much and then he the pivot he does is so brilliant because he goes the god is a bear you can eat it and Oh greases goes wait wait don't eat him you said it's a bear and he's like i've never had roasted god ribs (laughs) which is just so great it's so good (laughs) wow um and the advisor and the advisor proceeds to go hey I'll I'll help you get this bear. You can eat it. It'll be the greatest feast of all time. I just need one drop of God blood. And Greases does my favorite thing, which is, you know, in anime, the concept of like a character being so powerful that they teleport, they move so fast. And it's like terrifying. Oh, yeah. Greases teleport anime moves up to the <laughs> advisor and pokes him in the chest and says, you get one drop. The rest is for ogres. <laughs> Which is just so great. Because he's such a greedy bastard. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Anyway, um, uh, do you have a favorite of the ones you've seen, Andy, from like the Warhammer 1 intros?
0: I can barely remember them. I need to go back to them. So I think my answer to that one will be, let's w- wait until I start streaming and I get super excited by them all.
1: That's fair. Uh, they're they're yeah, very well made. made. Cool. They're super fun.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, let's see. The advisor is just, is, is advisor just Lelayeth all along?
0: <laughs> Absolutely yes <laughs> um i think that's maybe, that maybe is, that's who is, the new
1: maybe that's who the new female narrator is maybe it's Lynn.
0: um as ridiculous as it is to say the answer is obviously yeah no <laughs> um as, as as much it'd be more fun to say yes but the answer is no
1: uh could the new advisor be related to the old advisor she seems even more mysterious
0: could be uh, if they wanted to be I mean, yeah, it's one of those things that will be whatever they decide that it is, but uh, loosely, probably not.
1: Uh, will Andy ever do cosplay as the advisor? Yes, go watch uh, the stream or uh, the oh, episode yeah. of Lawhammer that'll come out tomorrow.
0: I can't believe that came up as the question. And the answer is, yeah, I kind of did. Although my cosplay's terrible. I literally just pulled on this plus some Ruby thing. There's and no a such bit thing as
1: terrible cosplay. Um, cosplay. It,
0: and, no, it was terrible cosplay. Trust me. <laughs> um, but I will be doing it again next Friday again, because um, uh, as I was discussing with uh, Sotek before we streamed, the advisor is going to be doing something really quite fundamental um, as an opening towards um, the next episode that we're doing in terms of the advisor and his place within the world and doing something that, fa- that the Warhammer 1 suggested was a thing that he could do and wasn't really followed up in the later games but it most certainly is something that this one can do. This is
1: a really good Andy question
0: oh, Do you guys I love have it. a
1: recommended reading list for starting Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay? Like a read this book, then this book, then this book. I guess I'm trying to learn how to GM Also the advisor is a great example to show how to hook crazy warhammer stories together
0: absolutely is um okay so there are a lot of really good books across all four editions of warhammer fantasy roleplay now i'm a little bit biased because i wrote a significant chunk of them um so i would say take this list with a certain pinch of salt but whichever edition you're playing buy the core rulebook i know that sounds really obvious but buy that if you want To clarify, I don't
1: I don't think he was asking like first, second or
0: third edition. He was
1: asking for playing the modern edition. What would you recommend reading as like this is priority number one? This is priority number two, etc.
0: Okay, so I'm going to pull this out as pillars instead for the playing the game, the core book for starting yourself off by yourself, the Warhammer fantasy roleplay starter set It provides you with an entire city to play inside. If you want to understand religion, the best book is still the second edition *Tome of Salvation. If you're looking to understand chaos, you can't go wrong with the very first, I can't believe I'm going to say this, the first edition Realms of Chaos books, one and uh, two, the two books that came with that. Even though it's mostly 40k stuff, it's still redolent with detail and color that is lovely. If you want to see a little bit more pool together and synthesize both second and and third edition have extras but they're all based upon what came before but beyond that it's whatever you like so if you want to play games with dwarves go get whatever the dwarves. I'm not
1: biased go buy this Um, it's it's a nice box set and it comes with everything you need like you don't technically you don't even need the core rulebook at the start Um, you can literally get just this it comes with maps player sheets uh, even like pre built characters if you're like your friends are completely brand new and they don't want to go through character creation until they kind of have a handle on the game. It's amazing. And I didn't write it, so it's a non-biased opinion. <laughs> so I and, cannot recommend this enough. It comes with a lot of really you, good uh, Games Master materials as well. Uh, uh,
0: thanks. Um, and if you do enjoy that, um, this I can't believe it's going to turn into an advert, but it kind of is. Um, this Friday, we're doing a stream on Lawhammer Um, at 7pm UK, where we explain why the starter set's political situation is. And we're going to be diving deep into the lore, i suppose of why the starter set even exists so that's going to be super fun that's this friday at 7pm uk um but cut a long story short the starter set is if you're looking for a single place to start the best place now that comes super cheap at the moment if you want to buy it you can get it over on drive through rpg i will see about getting a link while the next we should part we should get um, drive through
1: rpg uh, as a sponsor or something well, we nice.
0: bloody dude should, shouldn't we uh, the number of times i use that up. shit
1: for everything
0: yeah, um, me too. So I'm gonna go grab a link while you're talking about the other yeah. stuff. Ryan so Jones
1: Kugath is my personal favorite intro. The voice actor really nails his conversation threateningly congenial. Uh yeah, well, they're all amazing, they're all amazing in different ways. Congenial. Um, the Kugath one is very near and dear to my heart because the way the actor voice actor for Kugath portrays him is incredible. Um, like there's something he does such a beautiful job of if you take if you wrote down what he says on a piece of paper, it purely comes off as very nice. But the way he says it is so disturbing, because like he's—you could tell—he's sizing up the advisor as like, uh, "Huh, you walked in here and are resistant to my plagues. You would make a very interesting experiment." And the advisor's like, "No, no, no, no. <laughs> we should not do that. Let's do this other thing instead." <laughs> and it's—it's mm-hmm. it's handled really well. I—I um, I, I really love Total War: Warhammer 3's portrayal of Kugath. Uh, Well, of all of them, like Nakari and Kugoth in particular have kind of been out in the shadows for a really long time since Warhammer Fantasy ended because they didn't get ported to AOS. So I'm really glad they were featured so heavily in three. Um, All right, Uh, let's see. What lores of magic can the advisor use? Uh, We know for a fact Hmm. he can use the lore of light because that was his original lore, but debatably he can use all eight wins, um, though he seems very heavily inclined towards light, heavens, and amethyst.
0: Yeah, so uh loosely speaking, I would suggest that it's obvious that he can by the time he reaches his Warhammer Total his Total War Warhammer one version, probably all of them. Most definitely, um, the ones that were suggested already, I'm uh, looking into the future with Celestial looking to pass past with Amethyst and Light, because that's what he's got already. But I think it's very likely he also has the Lord of Shadows, for example, because of the number of places he manages to creep into one way or another without being properly stomped. Um, plus, there's a strong suggestion that he may appear fallen, as in his. if we look at the very first cinematic that was first offered by the game, he properly fell. He did not look like a normal human anymore, but when we see him later, he does. There's many ways that you can do that without just saying, oh, he sort of mutates into a normal person again. You can cover yourself with a variety of spells and the most common oh, yeah, that's classic. that are the grey wind so the the answer is probably all of them given the book that he's wielding? But I would argue that most of that is probably held underneath various deals, pacts, restrictions, that the book itself is also held underneath.
1: Uh, why is the advisor so obsessed with ogres? Okay, to be fair to the advisor, <laughs> if an <laughs> ogre an entire ogre tribe shows up in your territory and sets up a camp and starts doing stuff. Being informed of that would be very, very important to whoever is your bosses. <laughs> they would want to know that there's an entire fucking ogre tribe that has set up shop in their territory, because that is a big problem. Like, considering in Warhammer 2, those camps allow you to hire, A, mercenaries, which is always helpful, but B, that means you're dealing with a group of ogres that are so populous that they have numerous units of ogre bulls, numerous units of man-eaters and numerous units of fucking mornfang cavalry that is a like oh shit that is a top priority we need to deal with this either we hire them or we try to kill them you cannot just ignore ogres in your territory cuz they will eat everything including your people especially your people that's actually the first thing they'll probably go for <laughs> so yeah like to be fair to him it's kind of important that you know that ogres my lord but anyway um <laughs> who was the advisor before he fell to chaos i know he was an imperial wizard but nothing aside that uh that's all we have really um that he was an imperial wizard and he was probably stationed in altdorf
0: um maybe hmm. okay look at the facts that we have altdorf is very likely the library in Karaburg is also likely but given that he accesses a tome of extraordinary power holding a greater demon It seems most likely it's the light college in Altdorf where he's sighted and it also means that he's someone with enough clout to get access to the Chamber Unbreachable or its equivalent, depending on which version of the light college you run with. And that being the case, we're looking at a Lord Magister, a High Hierophant, depending upon which term you prefer to go with, which means that he is a wizard of some significant capability. Um, in terms of how old he is and where he is, you could argue that he probably knew Egrim van Horstman, which is just a lovely oh, little aside. Yeah, definitely, They are almost certainly peers almost regardless of which version of Egrim you go with, and there are multiples. So he is someone that is almost, uh, depending on whether Egrim fell before or after, he may even be aware of the dangers of what he's about to do, and I think that's also quite likely. So we're looking at someone who is extraordinarily intelligent, extraordinarily desperate because of the choices that he makes, and possibly extraordinarily arrogant, and he gets that beaten out of him pretty fast yeah he does
1: have a through line of arrogance in a lot of his yeah. cutscenes, scenes so that definitely seems to be a personality trait of his that he thought he could handle things that he was not ready for <laughs> um and like especially that he's in that place by himself does heavily imply that he was a pretty high-ranking magister that he was able to get mm-hmm. in there without like
0: a bodyguard or a guide or anything and he yeah, knew where definitely. that book was and he knew what yeah, it definitely. was um, you could argue that he might have been a Magister Vigilant. A Magister Vigilant is a, uh, a wizard that is responsible for hunting other wizards. And they uh, tend to chase down wizards from the Colleges of Magic that have gone bad. And they're the ones that are most likely to gain access to cursed, powerful artifacts. Because this book will have almost certainly been captured at some point, taken into the Colleges of Magic, and held beneath the light college. That being the case, he possibly was the one that was responsible for capturing it in the first place, giving him a personal tie. But there's no truth to that. That's just guesswork. He very well may have just been someone who's cataloging the libraries that are down there and became aware of it for some other reason. There's a variety of characters um, across various publications that have had access to it. Some of which have been responsible for guarding them, like say, uh, Light Magister Conrad Mesner, um, he's a very famous one from the second edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, who literally ran the entirety of that down there and perhaps failed. You know what could be too. a
1: fun thing to do is that in tell the me, cinema- tell me in the cinematic, the the if he's in the the chamber Unbreachable or whatever it is, it mm. it it's shown that the chamber is under siege. Like it, like you see, like there shakes and something big yep. is happening. What if he went to go get that book while everyone was distracted by the escape of Baldros?
0: Hmm. I and mean, that that's, seems that's
1: why it's shaking. Is Igrim von Horstmann is freed Baldros and the two of them are it's that big moment, and that's when he goes for the book because he's like, This is this isn't a horrible scenario. I need answers. Yeah. How do I this stop? Is a abomination,
0: yeah, quite. And I think that to a degree makes a certain amount of sense because you're looking for an event to tie it to. Now, Altdorf has gone through many events in its past, but if you really want to tie it to something that is directly them the light wizards, and this would be the perfect time to do that, because this is the time when the light wizards were at their weakest. A full third of the colleges fell to chaos as it would turn out later, but they didn't think they were falling to chaos. There's definitely there's definitely something I going mean, on there. Hey, If there's a situation that would drive him to that book, finding out your patriarch is yeah. bad
1: would be a pretty good
0: reason. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a damn fine reason. Um, Let me just bring up the as I got there, although that says preview and of English, regardless, I think that link will work. So if anyone wants to check that link, make sure it goes through to uh drive-through RPG if anyone wants a digital version of it. Yep. Um it's very easy to
1: navigate there yourselves. Uh, y'all are y'all yeah, are totally adults. Um, all right. So uh real quick, just getting through the rest of these, real quick. Uh does the advisor know more about Warhammer than us? As hard as it is to admit, probably, because that book lets yeah. him cheat. <laughs> and he literally yeah, um, lives in the universe.
0: Yeah, he sees everything that was, everything that is, and everything that will be. And particularly once that book's cleansed, you could argue that that's it. That's just who he is. That being the case, the answer is probably yes.
1: Uh, let's see. Side Pedals, based on the Advisor story, what is the canon timeline of the Total Warhammer trilogy? Uh, okay, so I, I to give it the briefest overview, the most evidence, if you go by the idea that the cutscenes that have the most effort put into them are the canonical t- cutscenes, which in video game logic is usually the case. Then you go, Warhammer 2 happens. The Vortex gets weakened. All the demons break out and start causing shenanigans. Uh, the Advisor, at some point, either in the past, it, we don't know when, but he gets the book. Uh, the events of Warhammer 3 take place. He sides with Katarin. Catarin wins and frees Urson, and everything kind of settles down. But then all of the events of that lead to the Advisor curing the curse of the book, which frees Sartorial. Uh, Sarthorial curses him to become his little puppet. And then the two of them go on to fight along or to join Archaon, where they help Archaeon become ever chosen until they turn on him and betray him. The advisor is killed by Sartorial and Sartorial himself is defeated by Archeon.
0: As to when that occurs, given that we have um, Katarin in that timeline, you could argue, well, that's definitely somewhere. Close to the end times, very close indeed. Um, as in the late 25, say 15s to 20s, somewhere around there. Unfortunately, they kind of screw up the timeline in a few places, few places. So it's difficult to call directly. But what you can say pretty clearly is 2502 onwards, that's when Carl Franz is crowned as emperor makes at least sense, but it's quite possible he himself fell before that. There are yeah, a many different potential though. interpretations because their grasp of the timeline as it stands is relatively weak. Yeah, And needs to be for the game to work, to be honest. Yeah, totally. I, I'm, I'm not criticizing them for that. That was a requirement for the game to get access to all the cartridges that they wanted to include. <laughs> that won't stop and,
1: me from trying to make it work.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and, and our job in many respects is to come in afterwards and go, you know, you can make it work by doing this, 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 and this. Yep. Uh Alif, happy birthday, Andy. Much love to you and tech I haven't Thank seen you. the advisor cinematic with Cathay factions,
1: but I feel they must have seen the taint of Xi'an on him yeah. from a mile away. They they almost certainly did. However, they use ha- What's interesting about when he approaches Cathay is he gets a meeting with Miao Ying and Zhao Ming shows up during the meeting, uh, where he tries to give his usual pitch of like, Hey, God blood. God, super powerful. Use it for yourselves. And they just shut him down immediately. Uh, Like, uh, Miao Ying goes, oh, yeah, I don't give a shit about that. We're dragons. Gods gods are beneath us. We do not need gods. Like, we are above them. And he goes, okay, then what do you want? I don't understand. Like, that's because that's what the book told him. And she says, no, but what you can do is we know you can see things that you shouldn't be able to. We know. We know what you are. Where is our sister? Shinzu has gone missing. Where is she? And he literally, he legit goes, I I don't know. Like the book didn't tell me. I have no idea. And that's when Zhao Ming shows up and he says, Urson knows. Urson saw her when she fled to the the north. I know Urson knows where our sister is and where she went. So you're going to help us get to Urson, and he's going to help us get to our sister. And the advisor goes, oh, okay. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and conveniently the advisor gets in once more so perhaps that's what the book showed him all. yes
1: yeah, so the book was like that's all you needed to know but, yeah exactly yeah, kind of hilarious because it implies the book tells him this is what you need to know but i'm not going to tell you how it's going to go down which would explain why he kind of panics sometimes
0: <laughs> yeah like, it would explain how he does he panics frequently when things go a little bit off or he's just a good actor yeah
1: but I mean I mean i'm I would, probably I going would, with the first though i would I would be crapping myself if scarbrand was like I'm gonna take your skull and be like oh please this isn't supposed to be happening because yeah. this is going all wrong <laughs> as first as knows the book might be like yeah he's gonna kill you and then take me so I don't need you anymore <laughs> which would suck um anyway um so yeah uh is the tome the advisor has a pre-existing item or is it total war original I believe it's original in total war but I'm not sure it is
0: it is um, um uh, Uh, In that, I have used pretty much every single magic item that you can get in Warhammer, and I uh, do not recall ever using that one on any of the games that I've played, so I'm pretty convinced.
1: I do really like it, though. I'm glad it came with really interesting caveats on how to use its power. It makes it a really good item. Um, Yeah let's see uh, more of a total war question if you each had the opportunity to voice a legendary lord a legendary hero that has yet to be put in the game who would you like to voice and why well i am a horrible voice actor i have no skill at it so i wouldn't want to because i feel like i'd ruin it but if i was magically good at it a character that's not in the game yet i wouldn't want to do chalk Ux, the eternity warden that would be super fun or Teto echo either one what about you andy
0: countess emmanuel Ooh, spicy
1: i don't would be very impressive voice acting <laughs> <laughs>
0: She deserves to be in there, doesn't she? Okay, maybe thankful. Oh, someone's already said thankful. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, the, hey, uh, Countess, Countess Manuel, it's, she's such a fun character. It's a shame I can't she won't. she's not in the game. Well, they, the game. I, they're just like, eh, they don't see her as a warrior character. They see her as a diplomatic yeah, character. Yeah, but they've managed to com- uh,
0: convert everyone else into a warrior character. Pardon me, I've just been, what was that? Yeah, uh, yeah. Lindsay could do Countess Emmanuel. It'd be fine. You <laughs> <laughs> literally came in to tell Wait, me, y- and
1: Just y- 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 give me a ring.
0: <laughs> totally.
1: Y'all are right there. It'd be an easy trip. Oh, well, yeah, it long would long drive from Scotland, but uh, eh,
0: it's not that far away.
1: Uh, anyway, uh, let's see. Uh, my birthday gift to Andy. I like how his birthday oh, yes. gift. What is it? Is a tell
0: question. me about the birthday <laughs> gift. What a great a
1: birthday question. Birthday gift. Oh, uh, <laughs> who is your favorite character from those currently in Total War Warhammer?
0: That's a really tough call, isn't it? Yeah, there's only like 90.
1: 95 or 96 Holy to pick from. Holy,
0: How do you even choose? Well, uh, one of my biggest issues with um, taking the characters as presented by Total War is that for many of my favorite characters, they present them in ways that I wouldn't have done so. So thus I'm left with a version that I go, I really like that character and I'm going to play that character, but it's kind of come across in a way that isn't how I would have done it. So I have this weird love-hate relationship as I play the game. Um, So I probably go for ones that I have slightly less investment with, uh, characters that I've not used as much in the role-playing game or written about. And because of that, then the interpretations that are offered by Total War for me are fresh. They're interesting, they're new, and they almost define the character rather than try to reinterpret the character. So I am left with a host of characters that are not the ones I would have originally gone for. This is really fascinating. I'm going to come back in that one. I'm not sure my answer is. We'll come back. There are some follow-up questions to who you pick. Um, yeah. so we'll come back to that.
1: Uh, potato Salad, if you were the advisor, what would you say to Gelt during his campaign? <laughs> if the Tumble Fates cursed you to advise Gelt, what, what would you do, Andy?
0: You are the Supreme Patriarch of the Eight Colleges of Magic, and you should not be running for power or anything else. You should be supporting your emperor.
1: <laughs> do your damn job!
0: <laughs> do your fucking job, Gelt!
1: Now, who knows? Maybe Andy would fix Gelt into being a character he actually likes. Um turner Choi, <laughs> uh, would things have turned out better for the advisor if he had actually sworn himself to Zinch instead of being an independent contractor? <laughs> I like the wording of that.
0: I would argue that things do turn out better for him because in most versions of the campaign conclusion, he's still alive. It's only if he swears to the dark gods and tries to raise an enormous army of his own and stand against the ever chosen that he falls.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think him swearing to Zinch is actually the worst case scenario for him personally.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, if you if you want to look at it as the character, you could argue that the end of three leaves him in a good place and then he screws it up by searching for power. Yep.
1: infiltrator Troy, how much trouble is it to have a Lord of Change acting as your advisor? Demons need magic Uh-oh. to maintain themselves after all. Uh, you know, I would argue one of the reasons that he gets so frail and messed up at the end of Warhammer three is because I believe Sartorial binds himself to the advisor's physical essence, allowing Sartorial to stick around. Which is certainly one, an interesting so,
0: interpretation. So th-
1: that's my personal interpretation, which I think is why his body becomes so haggard and broken.
0: He's just a bit older. He's not that broken. Well, he's if just you like, could, oh man, I,
1: if you read really the description rides. at the at the end of the epilogue, it is like he gets bad. Like not only does he go blind, but he's like ages. Rapidly, it is brutal what happens to them,
0: yeah. Yeah, I've forgotten what the question was. Uh,
1: the question was, is it bad or how rough is it to have a Lord of Change as your personal advisor?
0: <laughs> okay, no, I'm constantly, yeah, it's super rough. Um, uh, if you get possessed by one of them, you're dead, and that's it. Um, uh, I don't think that a single mortal would have enough power under normal circumstances to support one but we've got an arguable situation where the advisor is filled with a deep well of extraordinary power by this god's blood which has cleansed the artifact and granted something special to him but in turn the demon then leeches i think that does make a certain amount of sense and would also be an outcome that the demon would be looking for because it allows it access to the material plane in a fashion it probably wouldn't have had otherwise so i think that all makes sense and basically screwed
1: yeah, and I also think Sothario plays his cards well by only being a rave, a crow or raven whatever for the entire time until the very end. Like, he does not turn into greater demon form until the very, very end.
0: Thanks, still loading. Quick, Quick five fiver five. for Cracker the Crown Cracker Crown King. Crown King who pilots the Pink Panther of Voltron. birthday. Oh, sounds This the Cracker <laughs> Crown King. <laughs> I'm the Cracker Crown King, I can go with that. And it's I'm funny. quite happy to pilot the Pink Panther of Voltron. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, let's see uh, yeah. and uh, yes demons do need a lot to manifest them that's why you don't enormous amounts. but
0: I think or... the ridiculous nature of that oh, book yeah, okay. and it's successful uh, cleansing by the blood provides the necessary power to ensure it can keep around
1: Okay, last
0: around. two three questions uh,
1: okay. uh, while Andy is thinking of his favorite legendary lord thing because he totally didn't forget oh, to do God. that while I was talking
0: <laughs> I was totally <laughs> avoiding it
1: um let's see uh i like how he said that was this gift to you by the way <laughs> that was the gift question <laughs> It was so nice of him <laughs> glass uh infiltrator toy the trailer a covenant with chaos was confusing to me if we have okay we talked a little bit about it uh why is he grasping his head in the trailer why were they fighting did that give him a powerful headache so you have to keep in mind that he is witnessing a realm of chaos battle between two colossal demonic forces, two of which are big, big bad demons with Kugath and Nakari witnessing that for a human mind would be excruciating. Like that is, that's the whole, like, obviously it's kind of simplified to make it in the video game engine and such. But if you were legitimately granted a glimpse into the realm of chaos to witness demons in their natural habitat, Mm -hmm. battling it out, it would break most people's brains. Yeah, not. Like, that's why he's clutching his head and looks like he's in agony because it's probably super painful. Yeah. Uh. As for why, uh, what was happening with the whole stuff? Uh, I think we talked about it well enough in depth earlier. Um. Uh, and then, uh, Hellfire did. Uh, let's see. Did the advisor die and come back? No, because Warhammer One is the last game, though. I mean, you could argue maybe he does, but Warhammer One is the last game in the trilogy. Um, yep. so it, it's that Warhammer Three is a prequel. A lot of us were very confused when the original Warhammer Three trailer came out because when we saw the advisor, we were like, What? <laughs> Not only is he like alive again, but he looks great. Um, he looks great, <laughs> yeah, you know, like man, he looks he's so looking really good, <laughs> like he's like he looks really healthy, like man been juicing or something uh, or whatever bullshit fad is popular. Uh read through the rest of these. Um can others come back? Uh okay, this delves into a lot of like resurrection type stuff. Um which can people resurrect a Warhammer? Yes, it is very hard to do in a form that brings them back to the way they were. There're a lot of like little ways like, you know, undead shenanigans or whatever, but you're not really you or you're only a fragment of what you were to come back fully is super fucking rare. And usually requires like divinity level shenanigans. Mm. Yep. Agreed. Uh, and old, last old one, would Sarthorial ever be a, a Sarthor the Everwatcher ever be a legendary Lord for total war? No, uh, because he's too closely related to the likes of Kairos. It would be too similar of a character and not make for a really genuinely different experience. However, he is a unique character already in Total War Warhammer. He has a unique starting trait, and if you recruit him, he starts off as a mortal, and he's a genuinely different character. I would actually advise trying to get him if you are playing a Zinch campaign because his unique starting trait is very powerful.
0: Yeah, I I mean, you could add him um, as a unique um, lord. Uh, Sorry, I'll phrase it this way you have a limited number of
1: slots and there are a ah. ton of Zinch characters to choose from. And if your options are, you can have another Lord of Change character or you could do Agrim von Horseman or you could do a lot ah. of these other characters who are very different and provide a more unique experience, Sarthorial just isn't going to be able to cut it.
0: Yeah, I'd much rather have Agrim. Um, So I've had my little thought and I have this interesting tension between the portrayals as they're presented by the games and the portrayals as I imagine them in my mind, having read through all of the various books. And I can't help myself but be dragged towards the characters that I have enjoyed for one reason or another, regardless of how they may not be portrayed as I would prefer, for example. I have a very, I would argue, almost unique view in how the elves should be portrayed that is probably strongly influenced by, say, the sixth edition of Warhammer.
1: Yeah, you're not going to like the Total War elves. (laughs)
0: Um, Where the Total War elves look very human. Um, They they appear human, (laughs) and they are much easier to animate, and they often look quite human, too. So thus, I find them relatively difficult to engage with. But does that stop me playing with Marathi?
1: oh interesting oh (laughs) i'm gonna have to show you a clip there's a really funny so a lot of the characters have like really fun dialogue when they're talking to one another in the diplomacy screens nakari has one of the funniest goddamn diplomacy lines when he's talking to malekith because he basically says something along the lines of i've seen what your mother does with people (laughs) which is so like he just throws it in malekith's face like i actually i think he implies that he's had done things with Marathi Which is I think so, very likely to be. I know, It's just so funny like he just walks up And he goes yeah I, I screwed your mom kid <laughs> Which is just so
0: funny And kid she just said so did I um, yeah, yeah, Because hey Malika all been Malika, there, <laughs> all being there um, Hey yeah, uh, Jacob Or possibly Jakob um, Never can be certain With uh, uh, the YJs Son of Stigmar yeah. Summon the electric Counts. it's andy's birthday happy birthday to me hey thank you very much for the super chat enormously appreciated hold up by godzilla as well hey godzilla 2021 do you think um Gawruch would function better as a legendary hero lord shrug more um
1: I, if if they're gonna do egram because egram also has baldros the big bad chaos dragon as part of his kit Having two Chaos Dragon Legendary Lord seems kind of much, so maybe a Legendary Hero Chaos Dragon and then a Legendary Lord Chaos Dragon would help them feel more different and fun, and unique. But I mean, it's whatever they could do either, either way. And Hermetic Alchemy, if you master it, <laughs> to, oh, the, okay, this is actually really interesting because I was reading about <laughs> a very similar concept earlier today. Like, legit was dealing with some stuff. Uh, yes, the 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 gold, yeah, the golden being. Uh, removes the impurities of your entire bead would that be a good solution to give cetra his golden body i would argue that's what cetra was aiming for was that like ultimate goal of alchemy for the self as opposed to like the philosopher's stone that's what the lish priest promised him and have not been able to fulfill so far and uh, i was going to be talking about this later but i might as well bring it up now i think this is what the original writers for gelt were aiming towards but later games workshop writers don't understand the concept or they don't know about the concept and so they didn't realize that was the direction they were supposed to be going with gelt and that gelt is supposed to be an ultimate expression of alchemy in the warhammer universe and he's not because the later writers didn't understand what alchemy is as a philosophy Um, from our world
0: And without going into any great detail about this, but we are near the end of the stream. And there is that possibility that there's a few of you out there just now watching who haven't subscribed and the potential of us discussing guilt in depth may just tempt you to subscribe, subscribe. But that is one of the issues that I loosely have with guilt is the different ways that the cart has been interpreted by different writers And it's a character with such potential, with such a depth of lore potentially behind it, with quite clearly some very interesting choices that the character has made. And in turn, none of them, pretty much not a single one of them has been seen through. Okay,
1: don't say anything else until we have 10K. No more.
0: (laughs) And thus, (laughs) I there stop and say, fuck that guy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Uh we are over time. We gotta wrap up. Adam, thank you very much we for the last super chat. Uh, how does sartorial stay manifest in the real world once he's free of the book? Uh, we talked about this. He likely bound himself to the advisor, and he also stays in the form of a bird. He
0: greatly limits his power. That wouldn't be abilities. enough. That still wouldn't be enough. Not no, but it helps, demon, I imagine. But, um, it, it, it needs more. Um, i mean, it's too much. It's a greater demon. Yeah, a greater but Keep in mind not the uh
1: the, the advisor has god blood in him. Maybe that helps.
0: Yeah, I think that is ultimately where you're going to be looking at the source of the power from because it's going to require something relatively divine just to keep its manifestation in place Um, so I would like to end with a couple of things first thank you all so very much for turning up for my birthday stream I can't express how much it means to me. It has been absolutely lovely. I thank you all for joining us as we discuss The Advisor, a topic that I am not that well versed in. I've got dabbling bits here and there. I inevitably get some small bits wrong on this one. Thank goodness for the good old doormaster, <laughs> of tech coming in and saying all the marvelous things. He looks like he wants to say something. I shall pause for a moment. Yes, you want to say something? Sorry, I just saw the Graham McNeil cover art.
1: Oh, oh my God!
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I that, thought you'd like it.
1: That lady night, I think, on the Pegasus. Like, oh, this looks really good. <laughs> yeah,
0: and quite bloody right too. Um, oh, anyway, really excited. Anyway, all sorry. of that. <laughs> thank you so much for all of the happy birthdays. It has been actually a joy. It's been lovely just sitting here listening to the lore Loremaster uh, discuss a subject that he is absolutely passionate about, and a subject that I've picked up and used in my streams too, in a variety of different ways. And I think that for any of you out there who are playing your own games, looking at a character like this who stands almost outside of the standard Warhammer lore as we all know it, because he is only being expressed over in Total War, and only there He's not being expressed in the role-play game. He's not being expressed over in the battle game. He stands as a perfect example of how we can use these characters in our own games in a variety of, oh, my freaking God. Look at that from It's yeah, if That, anyone wants, If guy. anyone
1: wants to get in a last-second super chat to say happy birthday or whatever,
0: do it now. Aww, <laughs> run our time, do it now. <laughs> That's so nice. Thank you very much. Unfortunately, just joining at the end, but nevertheless, thank you. We just appreciate you coming, Just wanted to like- say, have a wonderful birthday. I'm going to add a little extra earthle on the end there. Thank you and Sotek for starting these streams. It has been marvelous. And I would like to just say thanks to Sotek because he started these streams. I've come along like a late day player. I'm just sort of it, sauntering it, in going. It is, so, <laughs>
1: it, is, it is actually reached a point, though, where it is like the absolute favorite thing I get to do every week, which it was Aww. not, it was not before then. This is the then.
0: best birthday present ever. Just it, it would not, it would not be other.
1: anything near what it is without Andy.
0: Not even yeah. Sure. Thanks. It's been so much fun and it's helped develop my love for this universe more and more. Actually, I want to reassert that and say the same thing for myself. Um, I went through various lapses with the Warhammer world in general. For example, when it blew up, I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm done with this. I shall move on. Fuck you guys. Um, yeah, but that, I kept on right. coming back. <laughs> yeah, totally. I kept on coming back because I loved it so much. And When I got pulled back in for the most recent edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, There was a moment of hesitation where I went, do I want to do this again? I've done it in the past. I've done it multiple times. And my little heart, can it take getting my world blown up in me again? I'm not sure that I can. And I can't express to you all how much of a difference it's made, not just to have dive back into this thing that I love, but to find myself in this lovely place where we can all discuss it in an open way and really just enjoy everything that's been made over the course of the last 30, 40 years, however long it's been now. Oh God, I'm old. It's almost 40 years. Yeah,
1: it's, it's, it's uh, almost 40.
0: Holy crap sticks. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's a good thing to end on on your birthday because I am, as much as I don't want to admit it, 48 years old now. Holy crap, I'm almost 50. And to be able to sit here with you all and discuss like the child that I am The stuff that I've been playing since I was was this high. I have been doing Warhammer since I was tiny. I've been writing it. I've been mapping it. I have been generally enjoying it one way or another for pretty much my entire lifetime. Uh, To give a single quotation to end it on, when I was working for Games Workshop the second time around, because I've worked for them multiple times. Um, the manager that I had at the Times uh, came up to me and said, Andy, I can't express how glad I am that you're back. And I was like, okay, Ian, why? And he said, well, because of all the people I've met, if I cut you in two with a saw? And I just looked at <laughs> him and went, where is this going? Right. <laughs> you cut me in two with a saw? What? He said, if I cut you in two with a saw and hacked you apart, I would find GW stamped inside your body. Because you are so at one with this, and I was like, seriously, that is that's so where you went. Ominous is sounding. Like, <laughs> you have a Warhammer inside you, and you just can't get rid of it. No wonder you came back again. And I, I have gone back to that multiple times because it was creepy as fuck, but simultaneously pretty accurate. Um, oh, my mother when I was thirteen said, "I pity your future wife," and I said, "Why?" <laughs> she said, "Because if she." Because she won't be marrying you. She'll be marrying Games Workshop and Warhammer. That's what's going to happen. And that's when I was 13. Here I am, however many... Oh, oh, bless. Here I am, however many years later... Married um, for the Lord. What a shame. With a wife who not only puts up with it, but plays with me every single week at Warhammer Games. And also... (laughs) <laughs> um, has is a contrib- contributor to Warhammer and has won awards for her writing for Warhammer it is in the end I think the best place to be and here I am 48 years later utterly delighted with where I am with one of the most awesome people that exists out there doing streams about shit that we love, how could we possibly be happier? Thanks Otek. you kick ass
1: Well, I appreciate that, but I'm super glad that we're here to celebrate Andy because we need to celebrate Andy because if y'all have not taken the time to check out like his older writings, you're missing out on some insane shit. There's so many things we want to do streams on, but like it's not time yet or it's like it's relevant to a certain thing or like we have to do a vote, whatever. Like there are so many concepts that I've had the privilege to chat with him about and it it's fucking bonkers. I just want to say real quick to go for, I know we're over time, but whatever, fuck it. Um, uh, whatever. To, to go from being a kid that grew up with Warhammer fantasy. And that was my, that was my thing. I was 10 years old i was reading books that were way above my reading level and probably not necessarily super appropriate for 10 year olds back then but uh <laughs> uh like, shelves yeah oh man uh, that dark elf, uh, okay really random tangent <laughs> i lent my six edition dark elves book to a friend of mine who grew up and he was uh mexican he grew up in a, a catholic household his mom found the book and she burned it <laughs> she was like how dare you break this into these? household what is this horrible what is this satanic (laughs) shit he got in so much fucking trouble um it's fine i got a new copy but uh anyway i just love that story but um the um uh but it has been incredibly uh amazing over the last like seven or eight months whatever it's been to not only get to steal andy uh once a week which is insane to me just to chat with them would be amazing. But to get to do the show has been incredible. Like this is everything I've ever wanted to do in my entire life. Finally, like manifest. And it's great. Like even getting to do all the total war stuff I've done and all that stuff was always great, but it was always kind of like back shadowy alleyway type stuff where mm-hmm. it's like under NDAs and all these other things. And like, there's so many experiences that I just can't talk about until like I am done, done, done with them. Cause otherwise it'd get in trouble. But, uh, yeah it's uh it's such a privilege just get to nerd out and uh andy is literally a like yeah you know i call myself Lord master for the youtube channel but like andy is a living reservoir of things that y'all can't even imagine and uh his writing is incredible his maps are incredible he wears so many fucking hats i don't understand how he fits all of that i i keep up with the lore that's it i don't do any i don't write i don't do maps i don't do all this other shit and andy does all of it and he's a skilled games master and he's written campaigns and he's done all this other shit and he can draw normal shit like it's it's insane how much talent and amazing skill can be fit into one person Well, happy birthday to me. Thanks. Yeah. Well, you deserve it. And I'm glad we're celebrating him today because we need to celebrate having people like this in the world.
0: So I'm
1: thankful to him for writing all the things he's written because they made a lot of my life as awesome as it has been. And I wouldn't have a career if it wasn't for Andy. (laughs)
0: That's not true. The thousand other people added to that. Um, But I'll add one other thing at the end, given it's my birthday. um, We're nearing the end of the year and we were discussing beforehand about tying off this season at the end of the year and starting a new season next year. Um, And I think that uh, one thing that we could do, given that we've been for the last, however many months it's been, going through a host of subjects that we've thrown out for you and you've picked one, during the course of that, there's been certain subjects we've really been excited to potentially talk about, <laughs> but we've yet to actually talk about. That being the case, um, I suggest that between us over the course of next year, that maybe once a month we get down and we choose one subject between us, maybe you one month, we the next month, you one month, me the next month mm. after that. Um, we get ourselves a nice subject between us, one that we really want to get to grips with um, and dive through in the chat with everybody else. Um, and give the next season a slightly different tone so that we get everybody else's views and we also get our own exciting ones once a month. What yeah, do you think? That, that big, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that.
1: Uh, hopefully the chat will be cool with that. Uh, hopefully y'all won't mind us co-opting the the vote every once in a while. though, Andy, that's gonna require you to show up with a thing you want to do. Oh
0: <laughs> God. <laughs> That is actually going to be tough. <laughs> You're going to have to pick. <laughs> you have no idea what it's like when we click off offline at the end of one of our streams. Typically, the conversation goes something like this: What we do next time? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you've of done anything? No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, I right. do anything.
0: I love everything we I have, do. We
1: have got to get out of here. This is, I think, the longest episode we've ever done. It's so long. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, Andy is hash it. He has the biggest hat. <laughs> the
0: largest of a hat. It's a bit small and purple just now. But uh yes, to conclude on all of that, thank you all so much. It's been an absolutely marvelous year. really looking forward to our it'll be our last episode next week, won't it? For the yes, year. for the year. Next uh, yeah, yeah, next totally Sunday. Are we doing it on Sunday? Um, I have I we are. I think we're starting one hour earlier next yes. Sunday. Yeah, that's because what it is. Uh, Lawhammer has got its big party on that evening so I'm going to be going out after the show so next week we will be tight so we're allowed to meander and scrabble about a bit on this one Yeah. so next we, week we will be tight
1: we will do End Times Part 2 at some point next year Uh we'll do like one End Times 2 Hate stream a year.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe one year. maybe per season or something. Yeah, we'll that. that way we don't <laughs> no, another make, one. <laughs> blood pressure rise too much. Um, uh, but yeah,
1: Andy, go enjoy your birthday. Happy birthday. Indeed, I
0: shall. And thank you all so much for turning up. Next week, um, we'll I think it's gonna be on whose channel is it gonna be on where we discuss what's what? Um so it'll, on... it'll be vote here. And then the stream will be on totally.
1: Tech channel next week. Yeah, indeed, it's also going
0: to be our last one of the year, I think. So it's going to be yep. our Christmas stream. Okay, so it's going to be a little bit something special, and I may put on a Christmas hat or two to go alongside all the rest of my hats.
1: I'll get an ugly Christmas sweater. I think I've got one of those lying around somewhere.
0: I already have my <laughs> ugly <laughs> Christmas sweater on. <laughs> all
1: right, but anyway, other than that, thanks all. Talk to you all get later. Bye. Bye. Bye.